back to Inside Out with Turner and Seth. And that was a little taste of New Master Sounds. Our guest this week is uh, Simon Allen. We will get to that. He is the drummer from New Master Sounds. I made the mistake of calling him the guitarist uh, early on and have been getting repeatedly punished for it by my co-host. It was well, funny the first couple times. Yeah, but it's still funny to me. Okay, we'll have at it then. It, it, it is funny because I researched the hell out of these, but in advance, you know, I get stuff mixed up. There's so many bands in my head, especially with Lockin coming up now. But th- this interview is well before Lockin. This was I know. I'm just saying now. My, there's ju- it's unbelievable the jumble that's going on uh, in my head now. I need and, to. And, and you, uh, you've been keeping your head clear lately. Yeah. Been clear-headed. I like it. Uh, Except maybe last night, but. So. I'm in much better health than I was last week. I'm sorry. I messed some things up last week. Like, um. Uh, Brittany Howard's side project is 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 Thunder Bitch. It's not Thunder Shakes. Thunder, thunder Bitch. And it's not Thunder Thighs either. No, of course not. And oh, it's just I, I love her voice. Love that Brittany Howard's reaching out and doing more and more things. Also, Ex Ambassadors were the band that Tom Morello played with at Lollapalooza. And I have some other comments on Lollapalooza that I didn't get to last week. Yeah, well, we can get to those. Um, lots to get to. Uh, what, uh, but I do. I'm very excited about the Simon interview. That one was one of one of the first few uh, interviews we we cut that we kind of held on to for a little while, uh, releasing now. But it was a very informative interview, very laid back, very much what podcasting is supposed to be all about. And Simon's funny. Quite frankly, he's funny. And you have a long, long relationship dating back uh, over a decade with him, right? Something like that. I mean, I, yeah, that sounds about right. Done a lot of adventures together. But... um. Anything more on Simon? Because I want to talk about Lollapalooza. Because I, wa- I watched this gonna, webcast. You go ahead and talk about that. I'm going to take my headphones off and sit back. Go ahead. Oh, sure. Great. <laughs> Great to have your support again. No, um, you know, they do the webcast. And, and there are some things that are frustrating about it. On the one hand, there's lazy directing. They show the same people again and again. They show people who know they're on camera. Oh, like the girls in the front row? Yeah, and they're like, they're dancing to the camera, not to the music. It's annoying. You should If you're going to show dancers... Show people who don't know they're being filmed. Tiny dancers, if you will. Particularly with Grizz, when when he's performing, <clears throat> he's at the top of this sort of pyramid. I'm sure you've seen this. Yes, yeah. And they have a camera up there on the pyramid. Now, why not use that? They, they almost didn't use it at all. Why not use that and shoot people from up there? You get a nice vantage point, and you can get mm-hmm. people who don't know they're being filmed. Dance like you like you don't know anyone's watching, that sort of thing. Yep. Oh, <clears throat> I agree, and I, 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 I want to touch on that point you made earlier, though, that... That's something that is lacking. I mean, the, you think about technology and how t- the technology has gotten so much better with these on, um, you know, instant access, pay-per-view, free-per-view, whatever it is. And, and this was free, and I appreciate it, Red Bull. Oh, I'm not, I, trying, to, not trying to bash Red Bull. The, the, um, they yeah, gave us the webcast. Yeah, just the... The style that they're doing, that you know, it's just they're missing something. I do agree. It's not as artsy, you know. They're uh, some uh, or I, when I was at um, Way Home Festival, they there was I was watching um, Saint Paul and the Broken Bones, mm-hmm. and I think I ex- actually texted you and Robert. They the videographer there just was doing an awful job of just like it was so ADA. ADHD. Oh, the jump Not cuts. ADA, ADHD. Boom, bam, yeah, boom, bam. Yeah, I hate bam. the jump. Hold but, a shot for 10 seconds, for God's sake. Exactly. And then they didn't get, they wouldn't show like that the horns were going and you're like, well, that's, that, that trumpet player sounds great. Or is that a sax player? No, you know what I mean? Like you kind of want to see a little bit more than just the, the lead and the girl dancing in the front row. 
So I, I feel like there's a lot more they could do. And, and I, I'm not opposed to down the road, maybe even looking at uh, talking to some of these. Uh, yeah, Nugs.net would be a good one because aren't they doing the Nugcast now? Mm-hmm. So maybe we'll get with Mika and some of the other folks there and talk about what they're doing. Uh, because I, want, I wonder how much of um, how much thought goes into the shot or is it just I mean, uh, do the do the videographers do any prep to know exactly kind of what angles they're looking for? Is it you know how how much editing is happening? Is it just the video guys holding the cameras that are doing stuff? Or are they actually being directed? And how much does that direct? I mean, it gets deep, and I think it would be an interesting. It seemed matter. like lazy directing. The same, you're seeing the same people. They're preening to the camera. They're not responding to music. It's it's annoying as hell. Now you want to see something good? Camera shots from Lollapalooza. Uh, Big Gigantic, who just uh, announced an album coming out, forthcoming album. Uh, they uh, did a whole thing. They had someone videotape their experience at Lollapalooza. So everything from them getting off the bus to them on stage. Now, apparently they brought a bunch of people on stage at Lollapalooza, like Jennifer Hartswick, uh, I believe Grizz, um, uh, a couple uh, rappers as well. I mean, it was very, very diverse, the amount of. Uh, and so here, the, the video the little recap that they did, it's really well done. That's something, too, I've been noticing. We talked about it with Cherub. A lot more bands are bringing their own little bit of a production to video make these little video recaps and then use them for marketing and it's great because it actually gives you i think it's giving you more than some of the festivals give you on their recap videos and i'd probably be most curious to see the preparation for the sit-ins because as you notice i'm always asking our our guests you know how does this go how does that go what guidance were you given when when, how how were you just on your own you know Mm -hmm. i'd love to see artists discussing you know one-time collaborations in advance of them happening Absolutely. But Grizz, you know, he's up there with his guitarist. They love the Detroit Tigers, by the way. They are. Oh, they just think of Tiger stuff everywhere. The guitarist is really cool uh, player. I thought it, uh, there's a lot of dynamics. Um, you know, it's not just all in your face, thumpa, thumpa, thumpa. There, there's a lot of ebb and flow to it. Uh, they work in familiar stuff like Kung Fu Fighting, you know. And they ended with a brand new song. I always think that's bold. A, a, a band that's at a major, huge festival that has the balls to end with a brand new song. I, I like that. And he's got a singer. Do you have any idea who that is who sings with Grizz? She's fantastic. She came out for like three songs. She comes out. Is this a stalks concert the or stage. is this every once in a while? This was at the Lollapalooza that I saw. Are you sure it wasn't Jennifer Hartswick? Uh, no, it was definitely not Jennifer no. Hartswick. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I didn't catch that, so I'm not sure. Funny thing at Lollapalooza, too. <laughs> like... 80% of the artists I watched ended up plunging into the crowd <laughs> at some point. <laughs> yeah. Well. That is definitely the thing these days. But um, I also have the Frank Zappa movie to talk about. Or okay. Would you like to wait on well, that? No, no, no. Well, I, my, head, I'm, my head sets off now. I'm just going to now turn my back to you. So go ahead. I know. It's not, it's not talking about behind the scenes at festivals. It's talking about one of the greatest composers of the last century. So this might bore Seth. But uh, it's a wonderful documentary called Eat That Question, and all done in Frank's words. And it was at the art house downtown. Art! You know how you have your little independent film place, which even the previews are better than regular. Like, there's a new Keegan, uh, what's his name, Keegan-Michael Key movie coming out. There's a new uh, Sharon Jones, Miss Sharon Jones documentary coming Uh. out. Wonderful soul singer. Kind of carrying on James Brown's tradition, if you ask me. I know that seems grandiose, but it it's, feels that way to me when I'm seeing her. And she's it's, gone through it's, cancer. Yeah, that's definite. And um, so that's probably going to be a powerful one. I believe that comes out later in the year. It's called Miss Sharon Jones. Look out for it. But the Zappa thing was just is tremendous. Is this from the Zappa family? Is there anything about the family in this? This is one of the things that, any of that the Zappa family and Dweezil and, and Moon, who've been uh, kind of pushed out yeah. because of the now deceased wife of Frank being kind of cruel to them. Um, but they kind of come together on this one. 
So they're all in agreement. And it's funny because it's all in Frank's words, but yet early on in the movie, one of the first Frank's quotes is, being interviewed is one of the most abnormal things you can do to someone. <laughs> That's a Frank quote, which uh, it's kind of what we do here at yeah, it's abnormal. There's there's nothing wrong with that. You, got, no, you're definitely not normal, Rob. Oh, thank you. That's the nicest uh, thing you said to me in a while. Well, you know, sometimes you need to be reminded. But he, he rips on people. You know, he talks about Frank people. Frank does? Uh, Zappa does. He talks about people who pretend to be experts but have only know the old material, don't keep up with them. And uh, you see him on the Steve Allen show playing a bicycle. You see him <laughs> You see him learning about uh, talking about Edgar Vares who's an amazing composer. I don't know if you've ever heard him, but an extremely complex composer. Most people hear that kind of music and they're intimidated by it. Frank Zappa heard that music and he said, gee, I'll have to write some of that stuff someday. You know, you see him working on the Yellow Shark, which is the symphony stuff at the end of his career and a very old Frank Zappa being um, very forthcoming with his opinions. You see him on the Soupy Sales Show. This is a great, great movie. If you're a media dork and a Zappa fan, you must, must see this movie. And I think it's limited out out there it's called I think it'll be uh pushed out to netflix or amazon prime or something in the i future. would imagine yeah eat that question is the name of it all right well thanks for the update on your movie watching but why don't I you tell riveted. us what you ate that day i was eat riveted your way to the movies with rob turner go ahead rob i was riveted it was a <laughs> wonderful movie um but I want to ask you. Uh, and by the way, no, the show is not covering because you talked about it. I'm not reimbursing you for your movie ticket. I'm sorry. Okay. Thanks for answering the question <laughs> I didn't ask. So uh, how are you feeling about Lockin? We sit here just about 10 days away from leaving. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting there, man. We've got a good amount of interviews. Uh, one of the things that Rob, our producer uh, for that's Robert. coming out. Yep. Yeah, Robert Kwan. And uh, Josh, Josh, thanks. Josh is right here. Uh, one of the things Robert and I were talking about, and uh, yeah, I haven't talked to you about it yet, but I want to go to Lockin and, and really capitalize on what we do inside out. We're talking about the fan perspective. We talk about the industry perspective. So in addition to talking to the artists and getting the information and the interviews that we have with them. Um, we're going to set up some interviews with other folks uh, that are in the industry, um, be it uh, Andy Bernstein with headcount.org who's doing particip participation row. Uh, maybe Dan Berkowitz with CID entertainment. Um, maybe uh, some of the folks that are managing wet the volunteer program there. Uh, maybe, you know, pull some people that are doing catering or hospitality or some of these other positions and post production when we put these shows together, I want to tell more of a story, not just about Lockin, but about the music festival experience on the industry side, the concert goer side, the musician side. So, our, you know, the, the, the triangle of love, you know, kind of talking about that and, and really painted that in those episodes. Well, so not the, talk about it, like, like see it come to life, bring yeah. it to life. We've talked about it already, but to kind of put a put a, a real live face on it and a real experience on it. Yep. So. Yeah, so I mean, uh, um, you know, going into it uh, with that in mind, that that we'll be able to come out and have something produced that will be really interesting. So something a little different than than what we've been doing. If you look at what we did at Candler Park, uh, Lockin is going to be you know two hundred times different. Um, definitely a lot more, um, a lot more artists, a lot more sound bites we'll get, uh, a lot more five minutes here and there with people. As a representative of the fan side, I'm hoping we can get down there early enough. I would like to, each day I get there, do a big walk through, a big loop through the entire campground festival. and just Yeah, you, kinda... you, you can walk, but I'll, I'll go ahead and do a golf cart ride on that. 
Oh, no, you, you stay and do your thing. I, I, I like to walk. I like to just walk around the festival. And, uh, golf hey, cart rides and, are hey, good here. If anyone out there sees Rob walking, he's going to have some giveaways that Inside Out has. We'll, 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 t- I mean, I'll, be well tell ter- you here. I'll be wearing Terrapin shirts, that's for sure. Spike gave me four nice Terrapin shirts. Each day I'll have a, a day unique Terrapin shirt. Very nice. Well, if you see him wearing the shirt, or you see any of us, uh, we've got some giveaways. We're going to be bringing in these really nice... Uh, wallets that attach to your cell phone so it's a nice cell phone wallet so you don't have to carry your wallet with you the whole time just throw a credit card and some cash and you're set to go sponsored by wtns so so if you're a listener and you see us tap us and we'll give you one mm-hmm, i mean that's right it, th- that's first priority people who already listen we also of course want to use it to extend our listenership mm-hmm. um but i want to ask you seth aside from the podcast what are your preparations for locking from a work exchange team perspective at this point well, with work exchange team, I uh, pretty much I don't do anything at this point. Uh, my staff does. So Amy is managing all the labor and going through and back and forth with the departments and the management to get uh, what labor they want. Uh, you know, one of the things that we do is we analyze. So there might be if they tell that they're t- they tell 10 departments that they can request volunteers. Amy's now looking through those requests, seeing the numbers that we have registered, having a good idea of the trend. So if we have X number registered now, what is it going to be when we get to the festival? So kind of gauging that and then looking at that number, looking at the labor requests and really analyzing that to say what's going to be best for the festival in a cost analysis way, but also on the uh, volunteer experience way. So, you know, they might be able to save a lot of money having everyone work the ticketing booth, but that's not going to give their fans the best working experience because some of them want to do other things. So really trying to keep there's a balance to that on the fan experience. That's pieces of fan staffing. And then, of course, the festival needs, which are the main priority of why they're hiring us. Uh, So that happens. And uh, and then we get, you know, on site and our on site management team uh, does the deployment and and management. So that, yeah, I mean, pretty much my role is getting the contract set up, building the team, working it all together, and then uh, being supportive to whatever the company needs. So, um, so at any given time of day, the organization in general, not you specifically, you have a certain amount of people dedicated to each uh, uh, area of the festival, but then you also have to have floaters. So if something comes up, you have to be prepared to provide people, right? Yeah. Um, now, you, now you get into my trade secrets. But that's uh, the value of WED is that um, we, we've worked so many different festivals that we know a good idea of where what point of the festival is going to need more floaters, you know, extra people to be reallocated, uh, where we may think we'll probably be able to reallocate people, uh, what, you know, shifts are going to be the toughest that we really definitely need more people on. I mean, because let's face it, come Saturday night, you know, you're, the flake factors up. So, because the um, one time I worked with you, that that was the impressive thing was it was easy the stuff that was set up and that the each head of each department stuck with, but then things would change at the last minute, and the way you guys were able to roll with those changes and provide people quickly that that just that seemed to me. Well, that's and that's all about the labor. I mean, hey, you know, when Amy's doing this labor, she's she goes in and knows. Amy is Seth's wife, who uh, oversees the the company. And I want vice to president of Shimon presents and uh, manager of labor, and kind of runs it on site most of the time. Uh, yeah, that or Megan or or other folks that we contract. So, like this situation, Amy probably won't be managing it on site, but she'll she'll be there. Uh, but Megan will be managing it, and Amy, you know, does all of the 
all the labor ahead of time. They hands it over and just and it's not like here you go run it. It's okay. So let's look at this together. So as you can see, you know that we've got ample people for this, but come at this point at this time, just know this is where you're going to pull from if you need to pull. And then of course on site that that information is helpful, but then you're at the moment and you know, you know, oh, wow, catering doesn't need as many people or there's all there's so many things that go into it, you know, stuff like that. There's also things like departments that you can't just give labor to. I mean, certain events are like, well, you know, when you're at the festival, anyone that asks for help, if it's for the better of the festival, great. But then other festivals say, check with me first before you do, because maybe they have a deal with a vendor that wants volunteers and they're saying, no, we're only going to give you one per shift. And if we give you more, then you need to cut back on your price. Because a lot of times that's kind of a thing about for people to be able to say, well, I'm paying you X number of dollars. Let's say I'm paying you $10,000 of which 5,000 you're spending on labor. What if I can provide you people to work? You know, forget if they're paying the volunteer, paying these volunteers or for their volunteers, whatever it is, the event is saying, I'm going to provide you guys with X number of people. Okay. So that's uh that's a way that they can negotiate that down. So if that, if that is in play, they might say, well, you know, they chose to get paid. So we can't give them anyone because now we're paying them and giving them. And that's not cool. So there's some politics that go into things that, that, um, that we, we know, and we, we make sure that that's, oh, known from our staff so that they're on site making those quick decisions. But, you know, last year at Lockin's a great example of uh, a storm came through and, you know, let's face it, man, they, they Lockin was set up for their RVs to be in a certain area. They spent thousands upon thousands of dollars to get the land all worked out. And then a huge storm comes through and basically makes all that RV space untouchable. They can't use it. So now they have to relocate where they're doing their RVs and they have all these deals. People paid for power, people, you know, all right. these different add-ons. And they and, have their expectations because they've... Mm -hmm. So they needed the volunteers, like they needed somebody to help manage that and literally going door to door on RVs and being a representative of the festival. And here you have volunteers doing that. So it's a last minute thing. We, you know, we make happen. We, we, you know, reallocate, reorganize, train, do, do what's needed. Uh, but it's very beneficial to a festival in that sense. So, well, great. Um, how many more festivals do you, are you working before the end of the year? Unfortunately, uh, this is our last wet festival. Lockin's the last one for this year, unless something else pops up. I've got some feelers out there for a couple other events that we're hoping, but we've got, um, our software is still, you know, festival is still very busy. And, and this is the part of the summer where I start turning my hat from, from web, uh, web, from a uh, wet to start the activities for cloud nine, um, which is the cloud nine adventures. We do lots of stuff with them, um, on the activity side, but coming up on, on their events, uh, right away will be Dominican holidays, strings and soul closer to the sun that closes out 2016. Then we get into 2017 with the Holy Ship 1 and 2, two back-to-back -back Holy Ships. Jam Cruise 15, crazy. I can't believe it's 15, 15 cruise. In like 14 years of 15. I know, yeah. just as time flies. Zach Brown's, uh, um, his uh, Castaway, uh, One Big Holiday, My Morning Jackets event, the Avid Brothers have an event, and then Panic and La Playa. You sound like me reading tour dates all of a sudden now. I, I do, and I wanted to mention them all. But yeah, so this is where now is the creative time, starting to pick up like, you know, what are we going to do? So, you know, coming up with theme nights, uh, we just announced for Jam Cruise, we're doing the Mad Hatter party, which should be really good. Let me ask you something, uh -huh. though, because I always poke fun at you for these uh, 
site inspection things where you go on a little cruise in advance of Jam mm-hmm. Cruise, mainly because I don't like Seth being out of town, and oh, it's, it seems you. frivolous. But the reality is those are actually important to you hitting the ground running, if you will, when you when you get on to these events. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, site inspections are important. I don't go to nearly as many. I used to go to every single one. Now, uh, I do go to the Jam Cruise one. I mean, we do somewhere around 15 to 25 activities, depending on the year and involvement, et cetera. So it, it really is helpful for me to be there, see the see the site, walk it, visualize it, not just for decor purposes, but for, you know, like this year, I want to step up the game. So for example, on Jam Cruise, we're doing the Jamly Feud. It's like Family Feud, but Jamly Feud. Jamly and feud. what better bands to compete? Mo versus Percy Hill. Percy Hill? Yeah, Percy Hill's on. Yeah, I know. You're like, where's Foxtrot, Zulu, and Ulu? I know, but they didn't listen to me on it. I anyway, love all those bands. So instead of just doing, you know, two tables and a couple chairs, you know, we want to add a backdrop or something, you know, what we can do with pipe and drape to really make it stand. So being on the site inspection allows the opportunity to do those sort of things. Now, with that with that said, on the, uh, uh, the resort, the land events, the resort events in Mexico and the Dominican, I do a conference where they're on the site inspection and then they, you know, basically FaceTime me in and I do a video, you know, Skype type deal conference with the admin staff of the event and then the resort staff. So a lot of these people have already worked the resorts, same resort. So it's not a new resort and we're able to just kind of pick up and, you know, we have a, we, we have a, a relationship already established so it's much easier and i already know the venue very well you know so that doesn't require that but for a new one uh i rely on the cloud nine team and the folks that are managing the event to be able to help me figure out uh what you know what what access what do we have access to what are some good spots is the beach big enough to do yoga if not where is right uh real quick on those events <laughs> to what extent have you had problems with people trying to sneak in and do you have any stories of I mean, it seems like you just get Are to the resort. Are you talking about like the resort? Yeah. Oh, well, it seems like you if know, you just get in there, you're in the show. No, there's a, uh, I mean, you got to keep in mind, there's only one way in and out of a resort. Literally. Well, there's the water. Uh, well, and there's people that are on the water on both sides, security that are preventing people from just walking okay. the beach. Um, so, you know, you can't just walk in off the beach. Um, there was a Panic in the Playa, the, one of the first ones, I think it was, and it was sold out. We had the two, two resorts at that time. And, um, I remember there were some people that came up on a boat, but they just were on the water. They never came in. You know, they never swam in. So uh, that was probably it. I mean, there's, there's, you know, if you try to come in through the front, you have to have a wristband. If you don't have a wristband, you have to have your name on the hotel list. So you can't just get in. Um, yeah. So because well, there was this big scheme before fish last year. There was all this scheming going on on Fantasy Tour. Yeah, you know, and it, it people people talk about it. I I think when it comes down to it. Less people are actually inclined to do it. Because you don't want to end up in a Mexican jail? Uh, that's part of it. Or why spend all that money to miss everything? And Sure. You know. So, yeah. I mean, if you're listening to this and you've been thinking about scheming to come one of these things, just buy a fucking ticket. It's, you know, if you don't get in this year, get in next year. Uh, they're definitely great things. But, so, yeah, man, it's it's the time, you know, the creative season. We get all these creative ideas going. Um, another one on Jam Cruise talking to uh, Jesus from Lettuce, who will be interviewing at Lockin. Uh, he's doing Love that new little... CD. I've been listening to that CD a lot. They have a great new CD out. Sorry, go on. Oh, no, no, that, I agree. Uh, Big Little Baby Jesus Bowling Party. It's a coming to Jesus party in the bowling alley on the cruise. Come so. to Jesus. <laughs> yeah. That first thing I'm going to ask him is about that name. Is that his birth name? We'll uh, have to find out. Won't all we? right, all right. And then another one, um, lettuce. Okay, so lettuce has been 
very very involved this year on the cruise already cool. we've got a we're doing a, a talk show with benny bloom it's called all the rage with benny bloom trumpet player from lettuce he's got quite the personality so we're going to do like a johnny carson style talk show and like some activity uh and some activities in between and kind of make a uh, interesting thing and benny's gonna sit down and talk to a couple of different friends he has you need to get uh pencils with the ratios on both sides as a tribute to tri studios mm, maybe and then um uh, another uh, another one that uh, came up is uh, as I'm talking. So I, we we went to Deitch, Adam Deitch, drummer uh, from Lettuce, and I we pitched him because his band Break Science is there, and, and Colonel Bruce said to be up for this too. But we wanted to do we wanted to do Mr. Wizard and to have them do like science experiments, dressed in lab coats and stuff. And he came back and he was very nice. He's just like Seth, not my thing. Funny, but not my thing. However, we'd be into doing an electronic workshop with Manic Focus. And so now we're going to do an electronic workshop with Manic Focus. Well, that's uh, and they're going to do some recordings there of the audience and then mix it up and make beats with it and show people like this live kind of whole deal. So that that's really cool. A um, couple other things I'll mention that, you know, just uh, one thing that happened on our show here talking to Ali Crawl, we came up with a knitting class idea. So that one's finalized and it's called Yonder Mountain Knitting Class with Allie Crawl. And that's for Strings, Strings and Soul. Strings and Soul, yep. Which is completely sold out. Yep. And uh, we're going to do an Unplugged and La... P- Unplugged set. It's called Unplugged and La Palapa. Uh, last year, Green Sky did it. This year, Infamous String Dusters are going to do that. So hopefully they'll fly in Ryan. I don't know. That'd be cool. <laughs> but the, um, And yeah, man, you know, like we come up with different ideas. Uh, we got the Tropical Drink Challenge this year. Uh, that's going to happen. Um closer to the sun it looks like some of the guys from dirty heads are going to do that and, can, and we're pitching right now i mean i'm telling you these things but this is i great. know we can yeah we can we're pitching the uh slightly stupid guys to do wheel of stupid <laughs> and we'll have a big wheel by the pool and then wherever it lands is the challenge that the fan has to do you have to do something stupid well i mean we're gonna have it all planned out ahead of time stupid uh and so yeah i mean that's so you know this is the creative season if you have creative ideas send them to us i'm happy to uh, man i mean listen we come up with great ideas on our own but uh if you see something funny share it i love i mean someone last year sent me uh the hungry hungry hippos you know a, a, a thing of like high school kids or bar mitzvah kids any bar mitzvah age playing hungry hungry hippos with um a clothing basket you know from like your laundry basket and a roller cart. So I took that idea and we, we did that at Holy Ship and it was hilarious. But if you're a listener to this podcast and you get an idea, send it to insideoutwtns at gmail.com so the show gets a little credit. Yeah. yeah. That's also, that's our Inside Out WTNS is our social media uh, access point. Also, you can go on iTunes and review the show if you'd yes, like to hear. Yes, please do. Please review it and feel free to share these shows. We're at the point now that with our 15th episode of Jam Cruise 15 and this is our this is our 15th episode, isn't it? Simon. Yes. Yes. Simon number 15. 15. Yeah. That's the magic number, man. Hopefully 17 before we go to lock in. We'll hopefully. Hopefully. But um, 15. So, wow. Okay. Well, then, you know what that means? It's time to bring out the circus. And what's with the circus, Rob? Uh, the elephant in the room. <laughs> See, now the people on Periscope can see that that's not a sound effect. That's, that's actually you. That's not a sound you. effect. That's, uh, that's right. There's probably zero people watching. <laughs> <laughs> probably if you posted on yours, Mr. Social Media Network. Um, all right. Hey, listen. Before we go into the, um, if you hang out till the end of the episode, I'll tell you about last weekend. Um, 
I did break Tell away from my from my week. studying. Well, well, you, you hang out. I pissed off my wife. I went to a very uh, oh. aggressive uh, festival, and then the Dixie Chicks. And um, wait, wait, whoa, 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 festival. Aggressive festival, festival with, with aggressive, you know, with aggressive music. And the so, next night, I'm a Dixie chick. I have a uh, feeling I was probably the only person in attendance at both of these events. Yeah, but you had but bigger you breasts ha- than anyone at both. Hmm? You had the biggest breasts at both. Oh, thank you, sir. You're welcome. That's very nice mm-hmm. of you. I work hard on these. Um, yeah, but that's at the end of the show. We're going to get into the uh, into the interview at the end of the show, not the end of the day. Much better. Yes, at the end of the show. <laughs> at the end of the show. It's the end of the day. That's when you make decisions. What? Uh, oh. Glad you listen. <laughs> I do. Listen every word you say. So, some make me cringe. Want to give a big thank to our sponsors. Big Terrapin. thank. Beer. Terrapin beer. While you're listening to these. Wait, what did you say? That I liked your little slogan before. As you are checking out these sounds. You should sip on a sound check while you... Oh, yeah, that's it. Why go ahead. T- sip on a sound check pills... No, here, go ahead. You got it. Sip on a, cha- <laughs> sip on a sound check sip from Terrapin while you listen to this Terrapin-sponsored sounds. I don't know. It's, it's done. Like It'll be in the lock-in newspaper done properly. <laughs> Thank you, Terrapin, for including us in two of your ads. That'll be very helpful. Yes, uh, thank in the lock and newspaper. Absolutely. And um, the sound check is in cans, and the the new um, high ten is out. The mango jalapeno. Check mm-hmm. that out. And Wonder Dog Sound Studios. Our boy Josh Thane, who I got to see him play with his band Migrant Worker the other day. It was good to see. And I, I I hear we have another Migrant Worker gig coming around the corner. But anyways, Wonder Dog Sound Studios. WonderDogSounds.com to find out more of them. They're in working with Voodoo Visionary. One of my. Uh, pet bands i'm gonna have to finally get my ass out there and check out what's going on maybe wednesday night this might want to give them warning and are you going to keep your shirt on in there i don't know that's that's you can't you can't milk that one enough can you i can, well you know i mean it's just it's, you I should, only you should, so, your attitude oh, yeah. should be like what band at Lockin's going to get rob topless Oh, I don't really in a studio. Yeah, but does not w- really waffles gonna have, not be really funnier, a band. just like Simon said. It'd be funnier if it's true. Waffles not a band though. Oh Jesus, he got you topless. You're reaching hard. Uh, Wonder Dogs, wonderful sound system, sound studio, and the, the videos. The videos are still online, right, Josh? Can you recommend a video that people might want to watch our listeners? Um, Don Gallardo from Nashville. Check out his video. I watched, and that website is? Uh, WonderDogSounds.com, but on YouTube, you search Wonder Dog Live. Wonder Dog Live. And videos. You guys are taking new new submissions for new new videos because I think uh, the boys with Golden Golden <laughs> with Great Peacock would be uh, ideal to come to the studio and do that. If the, I like the way the Kinney Peacock collaboration went, so why not Kevin Kinney and Great Peacock go out to Wonder Dog and cut a couple of videos? That would be a great 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 thing. I'm sure if you pay them, they'll do that. On that note, big thanks to. Our, <laughs> we'll do that again. Ready? Big thanks. Big. Big, 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 thanks. Big thanks. Uh, hey, you know what? I do want to. I, I do want to say something. Can we take a caller at the end of the show today? Yeah, if you would like, of All course. Right. I'm gonna queue up a caller. Okay. All right. Cool. And you can wait for that. Um, you go to newmastersounds.com/tour. They only really have a couple festival dates. One in uh, in Arkansas right now, and one in Zurich. I'll give you the actual dates after the interview. But great of Simon to do this. Thank you for ter- to Terminal West. The King. They let us do it in the King Plow Center, not the Kung Plow Center. Oh, our little fish, thanks, thanks, our little buddy. fish obsessed thank co-host you, called it the you. Kung Plow. Oh boy, I tell you, I pronounce everything correctly. 
Well, are, are you getting it yet that I've screwed up pronunciations yeah, left and right? I've it, been making fun it. of myself. Yeah, you finally it. get that. I get it. I get it. it took like 10 oh, episodes. man. All right. Well, I, let's get into Simon. Sure. All right. Make it funky now. Here, inside out with Turner and Seth at Terminal West at the Kung Plow. Was it the Kung Plow Center? King Plow Art Kung Center. Plow? Kung Plow? Yeah, why are you pronouncing it Kung? Is it, it's not Kung. I mean, I'm saying K-I-N-G. We're going to do that again then. <laughs> he always wants to cut out the best stuff. <laughs> I'm only kidding. I'm only I mean, kidding. It, maybe it makes you feel silly, but don't feel silly. You were just trying. I was trying because, you know what it is? Kung is like Kung Fu. But that's spelt with a U. Kung Chant, perhaps. Where did the king then come from? The king plow. King kingdom. There's a kingdom. Well, let me say this. Back in the 1990s, uh, in the British DJ scene, there was a band that would go up in between DJ acts, and even though the crowd really was there for DJs, this band had an ability to command the attention, and they would become the new master sounds. And we have with us a person who's not only the drummer for them, but also one of the most uh, invigorating and helpful members of the Jam Cruise experience. Well, this that's... is Simon Allen. I didn't mean to interrupt, but that was a really wonderful introduction. When you first started it, I was thinking you were about to tell me an anecdote about another band. No, because isn't that true, though? Because <laughs> yeah, always yeah. one of the things that New Master Sounds has always had the ability to grab the audience. And I, I can't help but wonder that your genesis was going in front of these people who were really there to see DJs, and you had to grab their attention. Do you think that's something that continues to serve the band well? I, think, I guess we don't take it for granted because in Britain... There is less devotion to the live music than there is over here. So, yeah, we did have to fight harder. And um, I think we're just more grateful than your average American musician. Well, but that, that's interesting, though, because I don't know a lot of American, when you say music, live music, a lot of the jazz, a lot of the jazz performers from America, they, get a, they have a better career in Europe. Is it just the money or is it the audience? I don't know, but you see, we don't even think of ourselves as Europe as a whole deal going ah, on now yes. where we're deciding whether or not to stay in the EU. Uh, that's called uh, Remain or Brexit, <laughs> um, which is horrible, really clunky. But um, yeah, the places like France, Germany, Italy, Spain have a different scene and a different kind of character to... It's way more different than the differences between US states. You know, like how you're... 50 different countries, but you, at least you're united by a common language. Texas a notwithstanding. A love of uh, guns. Well, you know, it depends. If, if you go to the south, <laughs> it's y'all. If you go to the you know, northeast, it's no, I'm ah. Not, I'm not saying it's homogenous. Ah. I'm, I'm saying there are certain key things that you have, like all your states have in common. Like, you know, the currency? language. Language and the <laughs> language, currency. Sure. Yes. And um, driving on the right. So, you know, we drive on the left and we go over to France and we're driving on the right. Which is the right way in your mind. The correct way. Um, the correct way, well, the thing is, I think if you're right-handed and you're on a horse and you're approaching 
somebody else on a horse, you need to be able to draw your sword oh, yeah, with your right, right hand. So if you're crossing, you, you don't want to accidentally chop your own horse's head off when you're trying to fight somebody on the left, which is what, where they would be if you drove on the right. Therefore, for the time when you needed to be wielding a sword on horseback, the left is the correct side of the road. It's not correct now because the rest of the world seems to drive on the right. And we no longer use swords, we use bombs and drones. Yeah, and you can throw those. <laughs> well, when I'm in England, I'm scared shitless driving on that other side of the road. And, yeah, but, and, but yet you're not that scared when you're in the Bahamas. I don't know. Well, it's not as though there was an adversity between you and the DJs, though, because they would provide you a lot of the 45s that inspired you to get into the music. That it, it, Well, exactly. They were our friends, and uh, they, at the time before the internet, they were the ones who made the effort to collect these obscure records which you wouldn't otherwise be able to hear. Nowadays, every obscure record is on YouTube. So all the people who collected them have filmed their own turntables and posted it on YouTube. And now it's great because all the stuff that's not on um, Apple Music or Spotify or Pandora, you can pretty much find someone who's put it on YouTube. But then it was just the DJ who went to specialist shops to collect seven-inch singles and travelled abroad to do that they were the gatekeepers, so they were really important. And often they were the promoters as well, so they were the ones booking the live bands. So we've quite a few of those we're still in touch with. Um, and we're grateful that there was a slot for live music in those situations. You see, see how humble we are. And what were some of the singles that had the most impact on you and why? Oh, oh. Just a few, just pick a few that come to mind. <sighs> Let's... Well, the, 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 the reality is nothing comes to mind because we used to get... Um, we never used to know what they were, so we would be listening to the music on the dance floor, and occasionally if, if we thought, oh, hang on, who's this? We'd go and ask the DJ. But it wouldn't really stick, and it, it was always kind of one song by someone and another song by somebody else. And they were quite obscure. Some of these artists only released, you know, two or three records, and then they disappeared. Um, so... There are tunes where, which we have uh, done cover versions of that were introduced to us by DJs. Some of the ones in our set, um, there's one by Donny Hathaway called Zambezi. And uh, at the time, that wasn't very well known. I'm not, not sure even if it is now. And there's a few in our set still to this day where we sort of feel like they're our tunes now because we've been playing them for 17 years and they don't really get played in any other context. Um, so apologies to whoever wrote the songs that we pass off as our own. Hey, Pete Seeger calls it the folk process, so go right ahead and do okay. it. Okay, splendid. Yeah, it's just the folk process. Just chill out. So how did you move from there to your own gigs? Um, we started to get booked in London at the Jazz Cafe in Camden uh, by other DJ promoters who may have seen us or heard of us when they were coming up to play in Leeds. And... Um, that was a bit more of a, a, a actual gig, gig, you know, live music was the main thing. But there would always be D, DJs warming up, playing in the changeover and playing afterwards. So there was this continuity of music that you don't get in, um, on the American scene. And so I still find it weird when I walk into a venue uh, before the opening band is about to start and the venue's kind of beginning to get reasonably busy and there's either no music on or there's some really, really quiet music, or there's some inappropriate music. <laughs> and 
it's like, what? Because back then that was part of the show, right? Well, yeah, but also yeah. if you look at uh, some of the bands like Fish, you know, they when they tour, they they their sound engineer tends. I don't, actually, I don't know who who's the one behind it, but the the arena shows and whatnot. You know, you have this music that's it's like a playing. playlist that they yeah, chose. Playlist exactly. Or like I remember going to a Fish show and hearing uh, Kind of Blue and stuff. You know, Miles Davis and things nice. like that. So it was neat. But as a promoter back in the day, I would always. Um, I always had a thing about the play music. Like that was, I mean, I wasn't a DJ by any sense, but I loved coming up with a playlist and having it kind of to build the tension before the band. And then always before the band, there's actually a John Zorn song I like to play. And then at the end, the closing, and I think I took this from Bill Graham, but I would always at the end of the show close with the same, uh, this is a Jerry Garcia band, The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down. And you... If you went to my shows, you knew that was the get the hell out of the bar. But it was a 10 and a half minute or 12 minute song. So you had time to give hugs and so kisses you knew, goodbye. You knew you weren't being rushed out of the door. Yeah. But you got the message. But is it a song that is unpleasant in some way that would make you want to leave? Not really. It was a, it was a song that was politely, you know, just it got people used to it. Because otherwise the bar, te- the bar owners and staff would bully people and be like, get out, get, yeah, out, get yeah. the hell out. And, you know, whereas this, it was more like. All right, guys. You so there's something a bit lullaby-ish about it, making yeah. people think it's bedtime. So you're playing Jazz Cafe, but you guys were still keeping short with the songs at that point. You weren't really yeah. expounding like a jazz band no, yet. No, no, no. We were, we were playing three-and-a-half-minute tunes because the music that we were being influenced by was all stuff that fitted onto one side of a seven-inch single. And so that was our kind of model, and we were making singles ourselves. But, and we were also in this situation where, because the, the live music wasn't the main focus, the, the performance slots would be short. So you might play for an hour or sometimes 45 minutes. And you definitely wouldn't play two sets, generally. So it would be a question of, right, you would, you, there'd be no motivation to stretch anything out because if you did, you'd get to play fewer songs. <laughs> so I think... It was only when we first came to the US um, in 2004 when uh, the guy that had arranged it had, had booked us to play in a pub on a Sunday night in Chicago. Yeah. What was his name again? Dave Vandenberg. God bless you, Dave. Yeah, exactly. He um, flew you out. He paid to fly you out as well. Uh, but he, not just that. Just He's a, a ridiculous amount of support. That, and we're going to see him tomorrow in Jazz Fest, actually. Um, he's, he gets, obviously gets lifetime guest list and... Uh, um, but, yeah, he, we wouldn't have a career if it wasn't for this guy. Anyway, that's an aside. So, that, so you were opening for someone in Chicago. The first two times we opened for the Grey Boy All-Stars yes. on the Friday night and the Saturday night um, at the House of Blues. And then the Sunday, he'd booked us our own show in a pub. And it was one of those, you know, get, no cover. There's just a band. And he'd arranged it. And he, we said, how long will our set be in the pub? And he said, oh, two ninety minutes. And we're like, sorry, could you repeat yourself? <laughs> two, two 90 minutes. I, we don't even have one 90 minute set. Like, like how on earth are we get. You You're thinking that's like 50 songs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, whatever that is divided by three and a half, you know. Um, uh, and it, so he said, no, just, just have fun with it, stretch it out. And that was just, that didn't even mean anything to us at the time. We were just baffled. Um, and we said, really? That's going to sound so self indulgent. Surely everyone will just leave. Well, we didn't have to worry about that because there was hardly anybody there anyway. <laughs> um, but uh, I, re- I remember that show because that was the first time we attempted to play that much and experiment with stretching it out. It's also the only time 
I've ever put a stick right through the, my snare drum head in the middle of a show. And uh, it's never happened since, thankfully, because it took ages to fix. And I think Eddie was kind of trying to do a tambourine solo. while I, <laughs> He thought it would be a bit like changing a string. Yeah. Because um, Eddie can change a string in, in about 30 seconds on stage. Damn. And then uh, he's, he, he can tune it w- without anyone having to hear with you know, a special bypass switch. And so he just counts in the next four bars and bang, he's back in the tune. And uh, it's, no, he ha- keeps them all in his pocket, in his, in his jacket when he's gigging uh, but changing a snare drum head takes at least 10 minutes and that's a very long 10 minutes when you're sitting on the stage and, I, and, and in the middle of the uh, show you're just here chat 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 but let me ask you this to what extent did you discuss hey this song could open up this one could and to what extent were you just like let's go for it and see what happens um, I think probably we didn't have m- much time to plan that one um, so yeah we just said let's stretch out the solos and See if, see if we can jam other little groove sections. And Anyway, since then, we've completely learned how to do that at, to the point where uh, the material that we recorded on our studio albums has shifted, evolved, and there's whole new arrangements of it that we play live. And uh, we hadn't really captured that, which was why uh, we, made the, we just made a new album called The Nashville Session, and it was recorded in a place called Nashville um, in one session. And we, we just played a live set like we would at a show. You even had some people. You had about 20 people in attendance, right? Yeah, we, we, we sold tickets to come. And, yeah, I mean, how many? Yeah, about 25 people came. And um, they took it in turns to sit in the live room with us or in the control room listening to it through the speakers. Um, but it, it was essential because what we were trying to do was play like we do on a show. And you can't really get that, that right psychologically if you're just playing to each other in a room, which is what you do when you're making a studio album. And when you recorded this one, though, also a uh, unique fact on that was it wasn't just through the typical digital ways. It was done on, on tape. It was. I mean, we have made quite a few of our records on tape over the years, mm-hmm. um, but not, we haven't been slavishly retro. If, if it hasn't been convenient... We're happy to... And Eddie always used to mix on a computer and then take that into a studio and run his mixes up on their system. So we're not like snobs about digital, but there is a way of recording, particularly drums, where the tape and bass, where the tape really makes a difference to the... To the it, it, it naturally compresses onto the tape mm-hmm. in this analog way. Does that, does that carry through to, say, vinyl? And it's going to make, make the vinyl sound that much better? Well, I, I, I think that the... I mean, it, its natural home is on vinyl, but I think it also will then sound good on, on a digital format just because the initial process was correct. But what was really nice about this was the way that we just didn't have any fancy business at all. Joe didn't even use um, a piano because he usually plays a Nord stage, which is one of those red ones. Uh, <laughs> but it's the, it's the best piano sound that you can get that isn't actually... And it's really tough to mic a real piano on stage, especially in a loud band. So the Nord is in some ways better than a real piano hmm. in terms of what you can achieve in, in our context. But it's a digital instrument. So we said, OK, we're just going to make this bass, guitar, Hammond and drums. And we'll only play tunes in the set that are Hammond tunes. And, uh, we'll, you know... 
this that we won't overdub tambourine it'll just be if if somebody can play tambourine during the song and not play their instrument but we used to overdub quite a lot of tambourine on on records because the music that we make often you know the tambourine is supposed to be the loudest thing in the mix all the way through the song it's things that we used to dance to um with these djs that we were talking about and have a little bit more water no I've problem. never heard uh, more, you know, the need for more tambourine. Now, cowbell, we've all heard a need for more of, but tambourine, that's a, that's a new one. Well, um, we, we did a show, with, we did a tour with Nth Power, with um, Nikki Glasby, the drummer. And she's sat in with us many times over the um, years since, we, since she first joined the scene. And, and uh, then she started playing for Dumpster Funk. She's an amazing drummer. Um, and there was one thing where it was a sort of, oh, is Nikki going to sit in? And instead of coming over to the drum kit, she just picked up a tambourine and she played all the way through the song, completely consistently, which is exactly what the groove needed. Nobody ever does that. Like, a percussionist, generally, if you get a percussionist to sit in, they want to play congas, and they play a bit of tambourine, but you would never usually get one just faithfully playing 16ths on a tambourine and nothing else. And she did it, and it was just like the grooviest thing ever. I was so yeah. pleased. Actually, that led me to a question that I was going to ask later, but when you're a drummer of your skill, you easily could color and add stuff, and you do probably get to do so more than the average funk drummer. But there are times when you just have to hold the beat as well, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I'm trying to make sure that I'm not overplaying. Because um, the I think the... The appeal of funk, and in particular the appeal of the new master sounds, it's kind of based on the fact that there are spaces left in in the groove. And if you fill all the spaces up, it kind of isn't a groove anymore. It's just, well, it's, it's, it's the groove's been filled in, <laughs> like with a, an earth mover, a digger or something. So the, the furrow has been ploughed over by too much. And that, that analogy is... It's not really working, is it? But I've had some really bad analogies on this show. Have you? Don't worry. <laughs> but, but so I think it can make it harder to appreciate the interplay that's going on if well, there's too you, much. It's just got. It, it's not. It's not going to make you dance if there aren't gaps in it. And often it's about the gaps. And I sometimes get really excited and I fill quite a lot. But I am checking myself to say, just lay this groove down. And sometimes I make a distinct effort just to loop one bar and not actually embellish it for a long period of time, which is something that we, have, we call believing in the groove, which we discussed years ago and just said, a lot of bands we go and see, and they're laying down something tasty, and just when you're thinking, yeah, okay, bang, they change it because they've got ADD. Um, and we're there at the back holding up our yellow cards, which is, a, you know, first... Soccer effect, yeah, soccer, soccer, soccer reference. Red card would be a send-off. Yes. Yellow is just a warning. Right. Um, and uh, it, loads of bands do it. And so we, whenever we see them do it, we say, okay, don't feel like you've got to keep changing it up because the audience hasn't got the attention span. Let's, let's try and believe in the groove for even longer than you think would work so that you're just turning around a really tasty, danceable groove for a long period of time. And we're watching the faces of the audience and it's clear that it's the right thing to do because they're just getting more and more into it. No one's kind of looking at their watches or going off to the bar. So, And Eddie's gradually, you know, digging into it as well. Oh, right? and yeah, and it's, it's being, it, like, it's maybe getting more intense and it, 
it gets changed up ever so slightly, like a layer will be added or a layer will be taken away. But Pete and I will usually be just running the engine in a very consistent way. And I, I, they're my favorite bits. I'm actually going to cut this piece of the uh, interview and then just put it on top of a DJ talking because I think <laughs> that if you listen to an EDM artist trying to talk about like what they're trying to accomplish, it's exactly that at times. Well, because they're, they're interested in the dance floor and they've got D in their name, haven't they, dance? So we, we should be... What should we be? The, the organic dance music. Organic dance. ODM. Like we it. do o- ODM. 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 There you go. <laughs> it's, We've created heard it here first. Yes. <laughs> Bang. Okay. Yeah. We'll say that. That's our genre. So I haven't heard, I don't, neither of us have heard Nashville Session yet. We hope to soon. But um, your previous album, Made for Pleasure, I've been listening to nonstop. I'm pleased to hear that. Um, it's one of my more um, proud accomplishments. It's a brilliant, brilliant record. I say my, as if it, you yeah, know, it was I, all you. I, you I wrote t- it, you recorded it. I took part. It. Yes. Uh, but also, I, um, uh, I have a lot more to do with the process of turning it from a recording into a product. Because I run the, the, there's a little record label that kind of exists purely to serve the new master sounds, and it's called One Note Records. And I've been in charge of that for, for since 2003, so 13 years. Longer than I've been a parent. And uh, it's, it's just quite handy to have control of your own stuff. And then you, I find I can license it to a label in Japan or in the US or in Europe. And just to know that there is a kind of legacy of revenue that will continue, hopefully until the apocalypse. As long as the infrastructure of civilization is maintained another mm-hmm. 10 15 years i think yeah. so you're you're tops you're taking the uh, the concept of publishing and putting it into album well yeah so we do we have a publisher who represents the stuff that we write and i'm handling the the what's called the master rights capital m capital r which is the physical recording so if you own the recording you if you paid for the recording soup i keep bashing the mic stand sorry ladies and gentlemen um, I'm gesticulating into my mic stand. Um, if you own the recording, then you have the right to the, exploit it. And if you pay for it, you own it. So I've kind of, since 2003, been using revenue from previous albums to make the next one. And it's now we're on to number 10 or 11, is it? Oh, wow. And sure. you handle the marketing and everything as well? No, well, no. I mean, I, initially, I thought that I could do that. Yeah, it's, a it's, task. it's all got so complicated now with what with the internet and everything and uh, I'm I, I, I'm quite good at certain things I, I learned how to write HTML I can do a little bit of um, photoshopping and um, tiny bit of web based stuff but it seems like every week there's a new platform or system to learn oh yeah the, this week it's toggle thing no no it's to, do, to doggle t-d-o-g-g-l-e to doggle yeah to doggle yeah it's so a, it's an it's an app that has if you, only for dog owners uh it's the time tracker for dog owners mm. i don't really understand it but time tracker yeah time tracker okay well whatever it is i know that and all the music ones how many years ago maybe two three four years ago i just went oh no my brain's full i think <laughs> i am going to try and concentrate on getting better as a drummer and so i'm more and more, I'm just farming out that kind of thing to people who are good at it. And similarly, Eddie uh, has been freed up to do more with the guitar because the management has been turned yeah, over. Is be- that correct? Because, yeah, we went through a period when we were in between managers and 
because Eddie was living over here, he was the only person who was really in a position to kind of try and uh, rebuild it from the ashes of destruction from the previous situation. And he did an amazing job, but there were several tours where, you know, we didn't have any crew at all on the road and Eddie had booked the show. Eddie was settling the show. He was driving us around in a rented SUV. And and this isn't all that long ago. It's just this period when we needed to find a, whole, a new team and a new system. And it, to be honest, it's it's quite difficult to be British. Full stop. No, it, it, it's... <laughs> It, it's quite difficult to be British playing music in America. Sure. Because there are lots of hurdles to do with tax and immigration. And I read an article recently in the uh, British Musicians Union um, free magazine, which was, it was, quite, it was kind of slightly sensationalised, but it was essentially saying America has made it impossible for British bands to play in, in the US. And I thought, well, they haven't made it, quite made it impossible because we've been doing it for 12 years, but we've been doing it for 12 years in a way that's been way more about love than it has been about business. <laughs> um, so I think any sensible band would say it's impossible to gig over here if you're British because they've made it so. They keep 30% of our wages and they hang on to them and they don't tell us when, if or when they'll give it back. And you use the word destruction. Did it really almost signal the end of the band? How close did it come? Oh, we, yeah, we've come close to sort of financial meltdown several times over the course of the... I mean, we've been going for 17 years. Um, yeah, it just got to the point where it seemed like the IRS was taking money off the gross and then they were trying to tax the wages. And it's like, oh, okay, so we've now got to ask venues for 20 grand in order to get five grand. That's... Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, somehow uh, Eddie managed to rebuild it and find a really great team. And now we have superb people working with us um, and there's somebody who takes care of the business and the accounting. There's somebody who's managing us from a kind of organisational and conceptual way, like taking us in a certain direction. We have a great tour manager. We have a great guy that does merch and sets up my drum kit and a driver. And it, it, now it's like we're, oh, we're like a real band, like a successful pop band. Oh. Um, and it's been 17 years to get to that point. So we are, that's why we're still grateful, I think, because it's still getting better. And yeah, and you know, looking at the touring now, I mean, you hear tomorrow you're you're not just going to Jazz Fest. I mean, you guys have a pretty significant set uh, sets at Jazz Fest. The and last year's were were uh, definitely you know definitely had a lot of buzz. Well, um, tell me this: Do you um, as a as a Jazz Fest goer yourself? Do you um, want to see bands that you know doing a kind of special gimmicky themed set? Is that important to you? Themed set? Not necessarily. Maybe one or two things unique to that show, though, yeah. It depends. I mean, I am a fan of seeing something that you can only see there and then, and then, you know, that being something special. But, but it really depends. I mean, a lot of times, I mean, Jazz Fest, though, it's one of those things also where you don't really want to miss something. So as long as the bands are playing good, you're going to pop in and pop out whenever you do. So you don't want to feel like you miss something. Yes, because so then you'd be, a, have, be committed to stay there. To that. Yes, so you can't yes, make it too special. It. But oh, I always think country. a New Orleans musician as a guest on a fairground set is a good idea. 
Because there's definitely that New Orleans um, side of it. That's why half the acts booked, maybe not half the well, big names. No, we're, we're, we, we've never been offered a fairground set. That's incredible. Yeah, uh, well, it's not. Jazz Fest, is, Jazz Fest is no longer just the fairgrounds. It's, but it's I know, but come though. on. New Master Sound should be on the fairground set. Well, Absolutely. Eddie did live there for two years. but um, It's just not fair. It's because we're British. That, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's racism. <laughs> it's not. No, it's, what it is, is... <laughs> It's fantastically good because what they're doing is genuinely supporting New Orleans musicians. Mm-hmm. So those guys, they get some great gigs every year. Yes, that's a great place. Definitely. And, so, and I, I do not resent in any... I mean, I don't want to play on the... Fair, well, I'm not saying I wouldn't play on the fairground. So difficult this is. I'm just going to tie myself in knots. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we I, got I, your back. I'm, I'm fully prepared to play at the fairground, but that was my water, more gesticulation. Um, but... <laughs> He's getting into it, people. He's we, getting into it. We are so kind of wedded to the late night scene, sure. and they are not. Com- that is not compatible with the well, fairground to, scene. You're going to have to take lessons from George Porter Jr. because he's the only one that could be at the fairgrounds. And I mean, you you blink an eye, he's somewhere playing. Yes. I mean, nighttime, daytime. You know, it's incredible. But yeah, it's uh, the nighttime. I, I was asking Colonel Bruce Hampton the other week after our interview. We were talking about jazz fest, and I was curious. I said. So when you go to Jazz Fest, do you get to New Orleans and just pretend that you just flew across, you know, the sea and that and just change your mindset that, you know, seven o'clock is seven a.m. and just like just push yourself through and just go through that. So for the next 10 days, that is your life. He's well, like, as, as no, long, I just go to sleep before four. <laughs> is that what he said? Go, as in before four a.m.? Yeah. Well, um, it, yeah, I, I mean, for me, if we go to New Orleans straight from the U.K., which we do have done many times then uh because of that the time difference which is six hours thanks um water restored um because of the six hour time difference uh, so if we play at 2 a.m then that's a breakfast time situation for me having just come from the uk so that's 8 a.m so so as long as i go to bed and sleep till about 1 a.m so six 6 p.m. to 1 a.m. if I sleep, get up, have a cup of tea, have some cereal, then walk over to the venue and play a 2 a.m. set. I have no issues with stamina. But it's kind of weird because... And what's happened this time is we've just done two and a half weeks on the road in the U.S. and we're working our way towards Jazz Fest tomorrow. And the last three nights, I've been thinking, it's my duty to go out and try and party after each show tonight and stay up as late as possible... So that by the time I get to New Orleans, mm-hmm. I'm going to be nocturnal. You have to warm up. You know, listen, folks, everyone, if you're listening, there's a thing called moderation, but it works in both ways. You know, if you're going to be, I, I mean, that's, that's just, sometimes, it just makes sense. You got to warm up. You sometimes you have to moderate your moderation. Yes, this is right. <laughs> now, is uh, New Orleans Jazz Fest, I'm going to throw this jam cruise in there, Rob. I apologize. But well, wait, before we get to that, but, one but, last but, thing but, I'm, I'm but made a quick, for quick pleasure. question. Don't quick fight, question. boys. No, we, this is the best part of the show is when we fight. Are you yeah. kidding me? <laughs> this is where I get ready. <laughs> this is the, so, all the positive feedback. Guys, fight more. Is Jam Cruise a Jazz Fest reunion or is Jazz Fest a Jam Cruise reunion for you? In terms of the audiences, do you think? I'm thinking more on the musicians. The musicians. Um, hmm. I'll let you think about it. No, they're mutual. <laughs> so that one is the reunion of the other. Ah. And, yeah. It's a yin-yang effect. Yeah, like but that. it's exactly the same scene reflected. And, that's, uh, and, and on that note, I just got to get this thought out because it just popped in my head. And I hope it's better than the last one. Um, so when then, then you took, remember Bear Creek, of course, you guys were a huge part of that. Eight and consecutive the, years. And the thing about like these festivals that I saw and I feel 
is that it's like this continuation. Like, so on Jam Cruise, you know, you guys, you're playing, and then Nikki comes in, and you, you got a groove, and then George. So now you have these guys sitting in with you, and you're creating this thing. And then it goes away, and then you meet up again at Jazz Fest, and you guys pick up right where you left off. And then you fizzle away again. Then at Bear Creek, you picked up right where you left off, and there's just this thing that, like, what an experience as a musician to be able to, to, to have. I mean, I could be wrong about that, but that's kind of just seeing that. It is indeed a wonderful experience, Seth. Well, one of the things made for pleasure spilled out of Jam Cruise, didn't it? Didn't you grab Mike Dillon um, to we, record on that? We did. So, I mean, and we know Mike from what Seth just described, that scenario of Bear Creek, Jazz Fest, Jam Cruise, just free jamming and people coming in to sit in. So we've known Mike for years in that way. And we went to New Orleans to record Made for Pleasure with the idea that we would be able to use a load of local musicians as guests and then we realized they were all on jam cruise <laughs> um so uh thankfully we had a day the last day of recording was the day after jam cruise so mike dylan got off the boat flew back and came straight into the studio and that's when he put his parts on i think three three of the tunes you need to check out nola Tet, his new band they're absolutely fantastic his new band mm-hmm. nola Tet. and nikki's uh, in the band as well no no it's johnny vidakovich um singleton on bass and, oh, um, I'm thinking Nikki was with uh, Colonel's band. Excuse me. Yeah. Sometimes uh, my wires get a little crossed here. And Brian Haas on keyboards from Jacob Ferdaz. Yes, yes, yes. Different band, but supposed. But uh, Nola Tet. Yes, they're yeah. wonderful. They're wonderful. Okay. Oh my god! And then I saw the first gig, and they're already wonderful. So they're probably ridiculous now. Mm. Uh, can you talk about Charlie? Charlie Lowry? Who? Yeah, Charlie. Charlie. I'm yeah, sorry. No. Um, so it would be Charlotte, I guess, but she calls herself Charlie. Uh, Charlie Lowry. And she is from North Carolina, from Chapel Hill. Oh, that's why she sat in with you on that Asheville show. Yes. Okay. Um, That's where I think Eddie met her at um, an Everyone Orchestra show or something like that in Asheville. And he really liked what she did. And I think he invited her to come next time we were playing locally. And that happened a few times. And then um, we, we booked her then to come and play the Brooklyn Bowl with us. Um, for a three-night run. And I'm not sure. I don't think she's been to Jazz Fest. Did she bowl a 300? Did she, did she bowl a 300? Vocal-wise, yes, she, she did. She, she did. Well, she, uh, whatever she does on the bowling alley will be better than any of us anyway. <laughs> um, uh, because as an aside, bowling is something that I do if I'm forced to by my kids because of some atrocious kid's birthday party thing. But we don't see it as a sort of adult uh, recreational pleasure. Every time I go bowling, somehow I get stuck with the blue ball. Um, I, is that a sex reference? Wow. It was, a, it was just a bad joke. He let us into his life there a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to say, Char- Charlie, uh, we, we just thought, she's got such a great voice, wouldn't it be good if we could write and record something with her? And so it made sense because we'd done quite a few shows with her, we were having to do cover versions because we hadn't written anything together. And so we, we invited her for the whole week while we were in New Orleans. And she was, she was sick for the whole time, but she came into the studio and wrote and did some guide tracks. And one of them, I think, we kept because her, her head cold didn't actually um, ruin it. Actually uh, gave kind of a in, world weariness yeah, to it, yeah. perhaps. I think that was Enough is Enough. And, uh, great, great song off that album. The other two, she, did, she sang them, and then we listened to it back. It's like, no, you can kind of tell that she is bunged up and everything. So she went back and did that um, in Denver with Eddie a little bit later. That was the same time that Spellbinder, the, 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 uh, the Rasta guy, did his vocals for Fancy. 
And you can see there's online a full concert from Asheville 2015 with her sitting in. It's a really, really good watch. You should check it out and, and look for it. Yes, it's the color one. Um, and there's one from two years before that, which is in black and white. And they're both really good. And they're, they're done by this, this guy, Barry, in Asheville. And he comes in with four or five cameras and takes a, a decent sound mix. And then he, and he mixes it all afterwards. It takes him months. And then he re- releases it. And it's like, wow, this is pro concert footage, really stylishly done. I've never met him, and I love him already. The, the documenters are my heroes, as, as I've yes. said in the program before. They're the heroes of Rob Turner, the people who document this music so people can watch it forever, again, and again, listen to it again, again. Well, he's called Barry Bellamy, Barry to the B. This is Handel. We'll have to find him and yep. get him on the show. Anyways, how about the meters? Can you talk about their influence, how you found them, how they continue to influence you? Yes, very much so. Um, initially... We were in my basement in 1997 or eight or something, and Eddie had been given a cassette of the best of the meters by one of the DJs, one of our DJ mentors. And it, there, was no cov- there was no box with labels on what the tracks were called. It was just instrumental tune instrumental tune instrumental tune all quirky and just so appealing to us and we hadn't really heard anything like it and Eddie at the time was just going from a, a kind of jazzy George Bensony type phase into a more of a scratchy funk phase and so he was exposed to that just at the right time and he started he had already started writing little three and a half minute ditties instrumental riff based things but with an arrangement to them so there'd be an a section a b section and maybe a little breakdown and it would have structure and then back to the a yeah and uh and then we heard the meter stuff and we thought well, we should definitely learn some of these tunes so we we did our own versions of some of them i think we did funky miracle and nine till five and their version of sing a simple song those, those were three that were definitely in the set back in 98, 9, that kind of period. Um, we didn't even know if the meters were people who were still alive at that point, and we didn't have any way of finding out particularly. I mean, I guess we could have gone... We'd, you'd have to be an investigative journalist to get that information in those days. Right. And, and, and so uh, it just remained a mystery to us, but the idea that we would at some point be sharing a stage with them or they'd be jamming with us or we'd, we'd be billed with them or any any connection with them would have just we'd have laughed you know ha 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 what a silly idea um and we they're now friends it, we've been jamming with george i mean he i i know it doesn't make us special because he jams with everybody but um uh since maybe 2007 or eight or something and again it's that jazz fest jam cruise bear creek thing George Porter is all all over that, and um, and then I hadn't met Ziggy until about two years ago, and Eddie had got to know him, and he booked him for a show in San Francisco, and we had two drum kits, and I had reservations about it, not that I not that I didn't want to play with Ziggy, but intimidated. It it it, it wasn't even that. It was more that I was thinking, well, surely. Ziggy is a really busy player. That's, that's his signature style. And I play a little bit like that. He's a massive influence on my playing. And I'm just thinking, 
how it's all, there's already way enough drums with Ziggy playing, so I shouldn't really be cluttering up the groove by adding more stuff to it. So I was kind of concerned that it would turn into just a, a mess. Um, so I tried my best to to kind of keep, like, leave some space, you know, whilst at the same time grooving. And we had a really great connection on stage. And um, and Nikki was there as well, because the Nth Power opening that show, and she came and sat in. She played Funky Miracle, which annoyed me slightly, because that's the one I knew best. <laughs> um, but I did actually, I ended up studying Ziggy's grooves, thanks to a book that Stanton Moore wrote called Groove Alchemy, where he just... It must have taken him years, but he had notated all the most important funk grooves from several decades and put them all into a book with explanations and a, an audio example of how it's done. And he's done that with loads of meters tunes with Ziggy's grooves. And I, it was weird for me because I'm not really a reader. I kind of learned recently to read drum notation so I could teach my son, who's a drummer. And so I was looking at this and thinking, oh, wow, and it was really hard to make it out. And then I'd find, when I'd learned the groove... It was like, oh, it's just that. It's like it was way more natural to me to, to just feel it and play it. But there's loads of stuff that Ziggy's doing that's really hard to, to notice if you're not really paying attention to it. And he's, it, for him, it's just effortless for him. And I, I have been making more of an effort to, to consciously um, take some of his little techniques and tricks and incorporate, incorporate them into my playing. Whereas for the first 20 years of, of playing drums... I'd never really listened too hard to any other drummer because I was kind of worried that I would lose my own um, kind of I, musical identity. It's the Kill Mommy thing, right? You're supposed to not listen to your influences so that your own thing can come out, right? Well, it, and I realised that it was it was it did work because I do think I have my own sound on the drums now. Yes, um, but uh, it was really just an excuse for being lazy. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I'm atoning for it now because I know I, I used that I used um, that excuse in college. Don't worry. <laughs> No, no, man. I don't have. I don't. Don't worry about it. Don't just, prejudice just, me. I'm in the jazz band. I don't read notes. I just feel the music. Just feel the music. They're like, no, you got to know the notes. You failed. Bye. <laughs> oh, didn't work out. My job's to make it so funky you can smell it. Let's just say I blew the trumpet. Yay. It's really, it's real, or I wouldn't be able to do this. Is it a gift? It is a Simon Allen wish list. Oh, and I'm going to read these wishes and find out how much they have. Can come you to read them as if you were a genie? No. <laughs> wish number one: yeah. We would have a lighting designer who knew our material as well as we do and could jam with us. We don't have that, but we, but we do um, uh, somewhere like the Brooklyn Bowl. 
there's a guy called Victor and he's a really big fan of the music. He knows all the songs really well. He even key. He kind of knows our, our arrangements of them somehow, I guess because he records live shows and listens to those. Um, and so the last run we just did, it was like we had our own lighting designer and that, that was nice. But yeah, we can't afford to add lights to, to our entourage at this point. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. We would always have the right backline, including a B3 with two Leslie speakers for Joe. Well, uh, we now own our own backline. Yes! Um, uh, we don't have two Leslie speakers. But uh, they do have a Leslie that helps out every once in a while, but that's a whole other story. Yeah, she's, she's not never free on Tuesdays, so we have to get somebody else. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I, 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 why am I indulging your lame I don't jokes? I know, you always do. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm feeling bad for you. So I, um, Feel bad for me. Yeah, what are you I talking know. about? Sorry. So... Uh, he has one Leslie, which I think Joe will always just complain, whatever happens. Like, he's never happy with the sound. And I've been saying for years that he should just get in-ear monitors so that he can have whatever he wants and there won't be feedback issues. But he just would rather complain about it. But on a positive note... I think we saw a little of that in soundcheck. I dropped the water again. Uh, yeah, you probably did. Hang on. I'm back. Um, we have... A Ludwig super, uh, Silver Sparkle drum kit. Um, we have an Ampeg 8x10 SVT classic valve, which is tube in American, or tube, bass rig. Um, Eddie has a Fender Twin reverb guitar amplifier. Joe has Hammond B3, Leslie, and a Nord stage on top of it. And it's all owned by us. And this is thanks to the new manager who figured out a way to work us like dogs for six weeks last fall. Uh, in such a way that it would pay for all the gear as well as pay our meagre wages. And now, because we've got the crew bringing it all around, it's the same every night. It's the exact thing that we want, and we haven't had that ever. Mm-hmm. So with, that's still wonderful. So, yeah, tick that one. Forget about the two Leslies. I think, yeah, that would... We wouldn't get, be able to persuade any crew to carry two Leslies around, I don't think. All right, this next one's key. If you're a festival booker or a show booker and you're creative, listen up. We'd fly guests over from the UK, Sam Bell on percussion, the Haggis Horns, Chip Wickham, and maybe vocalist Cleve. Cleve Freckleton. Yeah. Freckleton and Suleen Fleming, yep. who were guests on our first album. Okay, so we just did a show, a homecoming show in Leeds with the Haggis Horns as the guest horn section. And uh, we didn't know it, but Cleve came, was coming to the gig and he was there and we pulled him up for the encore and he sang It's All Right Now, which is one of the tunes from our first album. So why not fly them in and do the whole album somewhere in New York, maybe well, at, a, at a festival in Florida or something? Because, Jazz fest. because they uh, are really difficult to work with logistically. The horns, they, they, they get into such trouble. They, they do, they, they'll... They'll get drunk as soon as they land somewhere at 8 a.m. And then they'll get lost. They'll lose their phones. They'll get into debt. They'll be chased out of strip clubs. It, it, it just became... Wow, you're really trying to make this happen. I appreciate yeah. your effort. Yeah. So, <laughs> if it does happen, no. definitely bring back... Uh, what? what was his name? Mr. B with the cameras? Yeah, <laughs> film the, the guy in, in Nashville. Nashville. Oh, yeah. So we Barry, Barry, Barry B. Yeah. we got to well, bring yeah, him back. You could send a documentary crew out with them for one night. But I could not deal with the stress of trying to get you know the visa process and everything and then to only have them not show up for the flight <laughs> it would be terrible um but i think i can't remember when i get, made that wish list 
I mean, is it five years ago? I, I don't even know. I've been reading so many articles on you. Because it feels like it's quite old. But okay. um, it's to the well, point... you had time to realize the wishes then. Well, what's happened now is that we have met so many great players over here that we don't necessarily think, ah, oh, you know, we don't need to bring guys sure. from the UK, especially because of how difficult it is to make that happen. I keep dropping that stupid bottle. You need a bottle holder is yeah. what you need. I want on the, on the mic stand. That's what hey, Leslie, can you those. come over here and hold the so, bottle, please? So no, offen- no offense to them. Hopefully they won't listen to this podcast, but um, we found everything we need over here. This, this is a country of bounty. All that you need. Yes. Oh, I love those towels. Bounty. I use those. All right, what about playing with Eddie? He can be very percussive, and he can be, he can be very melodic as a player, right? Mm. Um, can you talk about him in that way? Do you enjoy more when he's doing the percussive thing and yes. laying low? You do? Okay. Yes, I do. Good question. Um, yeah, my... Uh, well, I, I, I... Finally, a good question. No, they've, they've all been really good. <laughs> um, they, I've been... Uh, Mainly enjoying his scratchy, um, muted, percussive riffing because he does that so well. And and sometimes he'll he'll be able to put a melody or a little tune on top of that in the middle of it, and it's almost like two guitarists doing. He's doing the work of two guitarists. Um, when he does his kind of shredding solos, where there's just loads and loads of notes, I tend to switch off, to be honest. Um, and I see people in the crowd lighting up and worshipping him. And sometimes I'm just, oh. I mean, this has been the case in the past. The reason I'm saying this so freely is I don't feel the same way now. I'm not ashamed, but um, uh, yeah, I did used to be bored by solos. But he started doing something now, and I think it's partly because he started wearing earplugs and he's not drinking anymore on, on gigs. And he's just taken himself to a whole new level of precision and I, I can hear stuff and when he goes into his George Benson octave playing in his solos I can't help crying out then just oh yes and it just fires me up so um, I would generally say that uh, I prefer his rhythm playing but his solos have started to turn me on in the past year or so and it's good he's like George Benson's playing because he better not try to scat like Al Jarreau and like George Benson started doing for a while there and lost me. Yeah. I love you, George, but don't, don't try to be Al Jarreau. But have you ever seen Eddie singing in one of his solos? Because he has done that. And uh, not in a while, not it, in a while. No, I, I, Maybe I, tonight. I yeah, because I didn't, I didn't mind it. I mean, I, I, he wasn't going... It wasn't, wasn't that kind of thing. That, that's what you meant, wasn't it? No, I like no. when George does that. No. When he's just scatting. He would, I used to watch him at the Boston Common every year. He would come. And... Every year, he would do a little more and a little more, and we'd see Al Jarreau, too, and he was definitely trying to emulate Al Jarreau. And it's just, George, you're a wonderful, amazing guitar player, and Al Jarreau does the Jarreau thing. Why do you want to do the Jarreau thing? Yeah. But I was very young then. Maybe I'm off base. No, I think that's perfectly valid criticism. Uh, let's see. Is it a source of pride, uh, all that you've accomplished, the festivals, selling out the Fillmore, selling out the Bowery? Uh, you did without a major label, or, or even until recently, major backing. And coming from another country yes I mean but I don't want to say that we did it all by, all by ourselves because so many people have been so supportive and true but yeah, I'm just saying you didn't have the major backing no, there wasn't there wasn't, some of the other there wasn't a, mach- a business machine behind right, it right and and yeah sometimes that's uh, that was hard to come to terms with because 
It's yeah, because in, in in Britain, it's like we don't really exist. And see, that's crazy. That that's just crazy to me. But go on. Yeah, well, as I said, Britain. I, I mean, I say Britain doesn't give really give much of a, a hoot about live music. But, Loads of people in Britain would go, we love live music, we just don't like your recycled retro American oh. funk music. Oh. That's what they might think. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm imagining. I'm trying to think of the basis of their indifference to us. And maybe they just think this is irrelevant or they don't like watching people play instruments. They want to hear someone singing. Mm-hmm. We're mainly about, look at these four men, four middle-aged men playing instruments for two hours. It's Not- a resurgence of, though, you guys are re- re- in the forefront of this resurgence and we talked about this before with like the Derek Trucks and Tedeschi band with the horns in the 70s and you know but but not many bands are out there capturing the uh, Grant Green era and the Jimmy McGriff and the Jimmy Smith and just like that that sort of stuff you don't really see many bands doing honoring it yet breathing new life into it as well thank you you very much yeah that, um, that might be something we could put on as a sort of subtitle for the band have at it baby in italics (laughs) <laughs> um, but yeah, we do. That, yeah, we ha- we think we're not recycling it. We 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 believe we're paying homage to it. We're taking it as an influence, and we're taking it somewhere else. But I know a lot of people in Britain who would just go, "Oh, it's jazz. It's boring." Well, sometimes you don't appreciate the things that are closest to home. We have a band here in Athens called Deer Hunter, and I actually went to England to see uh, their their lead guy, uh, a festival where their lead guy had uh, curated the whole thing. Wow. And all the years I've been going to concerts, seen all these bands for many, many years, it's ridiculous how much music I've seen. But this was the first time in my life, I'm up front at the show, I'm getting chills right now, surrounded by people from all over the world who are fans of this band. Where, Dubai. Was this in Britain? Yeah, it's out, out in that, out by the channel, it's kind of a... Um, uh, it's not festival, is it? No, uh, the, it was the, an All Tomorrow's uh, Parties uh, festival, and it uh, was in a little... Uh, Isle of Wight? No, no, no. I would remember that. I forget the name of it. I wish Dave was here to tell me then. But it's a little, like, kind of medium-income resort area, right. you know, right on the water. E- editor's note, insert name of festival here. Yes, exactly. Space shot. Our editor's <laughs> name happens to be Leslie. She doesn't work on Tuesdays, though. No, good. No, this, is, this is how real stand-ups do it. They, they set it up. They pay it off a bit later. We're, Callbacks. We're, we're good. And this Callbacks. is actually, just so you know, this is sit-down comedy right here. We, we are all sitting on stools, but they're high. And these stools were just samples. The, the stools are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, I mean, I, I, it's painful. <laughs> you had a wonderful New Year's Eve gig at the Joy Theater. Were you there? No, but I'd like to hear about it. Um, let me think if I can. Oh, yes, I can remember. Speaking, I guess the meters were involved, meters members? Yes, were? yeah, yeah. I was, I, you didn't need to remind me because um, I've remembered that we opened for, for, well, Eddie and Joe opened for themselves. Because they're Sounds, in a band with Ziggy and, jo- and George. Yeah, right? so it, the, the, the lineup was Master Sounds up, up until about midnight. And then I think they were calling it Foundations of Funk, which, was, which is Ziggy and George, the meters rhythm section. And, and then the, the guests were Eddie Roberts and Joe Tatton of the New Master Sounds playing all meters. And it was such a great way to hear meters tunes because, you know, Art Neville's not so well anymore and uh, Leo is still a great player, but he's, his style has totally moved on, I think. He, like, his sound has changed and he's not into what he was into when he was 17. Fair enough to you, Leo. But I kind of like that sound that you did. And Eddie was doing it that way. <laughs> well, they also weren't doing the obvious stuff. They were doing some of the more deep no, cuts. They didn't play Sissy Strut. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, they were really chuffed, uh, which means delighted that they didn't have to play Sissy Strut because that's the cliche. That's like, you know, superstition or... Um, Hava Nagila. 
Well, or Leo, having a gila at a Jewish wedding. Leo Nocentelli says everybody does it wrong anyways, though. Well, they do, because, yeah, the riff is usually misinterpreted. Ed, Eddie will talk to you for hours about that if you can persuade him to come in next time. And the uh, original meters are going to be, they just announced today on Jam Cruise. Uh, they'll be on one of the well, bands I, on Jam I don't Cruise. want to know about that. Yeah, why is New Master Sounds not on that, man? That's a good question. What uh, is that all about? <laughs> that's a good question. I know no, that. no, the thing is about Jam Cruise is... There, is, there are two bands that get booked every time, which is Carl Galactic. Den- Galactic and Carl Denson. Mm-hmm. It's enough and already. They're both great, but it's enough already. Well, no, I, it's fine. But I'm saying that we don't expect to be booked every year for Jam Cruise. And we are grateful that we get booked every other year or sometimes two years in a row and then a gap. It's whatever it makes sense to well, Annabelle. For me, it makes sense to me to have you on as much as possible because the game shows are much better with you as the co-host. I could tell you that. I mean, maybe they'll invite me on as just a game show host, but I don't think they think that uh, that thing is valuable enough. They don't understand me like you do, Seth. Let's grab that, though. Seth, <laughs> let's talk about one of those and talk about it from its infant state to flourishing because this is a man that when I talk to Seth about Jam Cruise, he really, Seth really works hard and pours his heart and soul into doing stuff that is entertaining and fun to the fans. And it's very meaningful to him, musicians who are helpful and excited about what he's doing, and you are like the poster child for that. Ah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look up, let's go back to... Uh, I mean, we did two bingos together. The first one was uh, just kind of like, you know, the stump them. You know, I said, like, do 70s. And you came, within a couple days, gave me a bunch of song uh, titles from the 70s. And then not only that, though, you're like, okay, if we're going to do this, what we need to do is only play it from here to here. Like, are you sure? Like, they're not going to get that. Oh, we're going to stump them. And, like, made it really challenging, which made it more exciting, of course. But most people don't do that work. They're like, you know, like the week, I'm like, I need this list, and they'll (laughs) give it to me a couple days before it's, like, way too late. Well, tragically, this is just because when I'm at home, I probably haven't got enough to do. (laughs) That Um, is a tragedy. Yeah, because... I thought it was because you really enjoyed this. No, (laughs) No, I really do. But what I'm saying is, like, the reason that you don't get this out of other people is because... They're doing gigs all the time. Because like, I'm thinking about, I try and get this kind of thing from Eddie for some things. Just, I need you to respond with a list of this or that. And sometimes he doesn't respond to me for days. I'm just thinking, Eddie, bastard, just answer my email. Like, and he just will be, have his head into another three different gigs with a load of other people. And I'm at home. Once I've got my kids to school, I'm there you know, doing a bit of admin for the label, maybe doing the hoovering, which is vacuuming, a um, bit of laundry, might go for a bike ride, meet a friend for coffee. coffee listen, not tea. Listen inside out. Actually, podcast. tea. I, I don't know. I, yeah, I wouldn't ever drink coffee. So can I take that back? It would be tea. But no, so what I'm saying is that, that um, I can understand why other people are worse than I am. But I'm really super organized when it comes to things like making a list of things and distributing it. You know, I'm the one when we're doing a, 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 a novelty set who has to put the playlist together and send zip it up and send it to everyone and make sure that they've all got it and that's kind of my thing well it's really appreciated because it does work and I mean the last uh, the last one we did uh, the, the live, live band bingo. one oh, the li- oh yeah the live band bingo that was that was awesome yeah, I mean, talk, tell, tell the listeners about that because not everybody's on Jam Cruise oh, yes, this so. is one of the most adventurous things you guys have ever done it, it, and, and, wish and, I could have been there well for ages I didn't really understand how it was going to work and probably because I overthink it. So, so Seth might have just thought, well, we'll try this, but it'll be fine. And I'll be thinking, yeah, but, uh, but, but then people... Uh, and, and I'm just getting tying it up into a knot and reading it again. And going, I don't understand how this is going to work. But what we had was two live bands. One was Snarky Puppy and one was meant to be the new Master Sounds. But um, when I told Eddie about it, he just said, 
no, there's no way I, I can't. I, I can't learn a, a whole other different set of stuff because I've already said yes to about five other things on Jam Cruise. So he said, you know, you're just going to have to find another guitar player to do it. So we asked our manager, who is a guitarist. We'd never heard him play. And he was so over the moon. He was delighted. <laughs> it just, like, it, it thrilled beyond words. And he'd learned everything in a way that Eddie would never bother to do. Nice. And um, we, uh, Joe chose the tracks um, because I just thought, God, I need to, bring Joe in and just make him take some responsibility. Um, and so, you and Joe, I can see this yeah, now. He, he, cho- he chose the tracks and Pete and I are really good at learning things. So we put the effort in and wrote out little charts and, um, and then it, it, we, it came to it and Snarky Puppy did the first one and they were just like, it, it, I mean, it was ridiculous level of quality. I can imagine. Like all the, the the, the sounds and everything, and they and they're doing harmonies sometimes. And their their uh, their uh, theme quite, was like love, and so they did like all these love songs and stuff. And, and was, they're quite a band. I mean, but it was just like, and I was just thinking, okay, have they? Has one person gone? Here are the songs, and then they've sent out playlists, and then they've had rehearsals, or they've done charts, or or is this just them all going? Yeah, and I'm cool with that. Yeah, what, what? And then they just show up, and then they can... I couldn't... I'd like to know. Well, Melissa is, uh, was a singer, and yeah. she's dating one of them... Or dating or married to... I forget, excuse me. Married to... Well, let's just say married. Yeah. Maybe they're married now. If not, they'll be married soon. <laughs> so they, uh, she um, wanted to do a, She wanted to do something on Jam because she's going to be there. Eric Gerber, who's a booking agent for Snarky Puppy... We inquired about an opportunity, and that's where this opportunity came. So I think that she had these songs already, and this is kind of like something that they've already maybe played some of these songs. Ah, and okay. So it wasn't like they really worked just on that. I think it was kind of... That's a relief. It's together. a huge relief to hear that, because I, I was just thinking, I, I've put quite a lot of effort in, but how did they reach that level? So it was just like perfect cabaret, like tribute band rendition of all these songs from different decades as well and, and in an adhd style i mean you got yeah. like as soon as you were just like people get i mean people are sitting down with their bingo cards and then all of a sudden they're getting up and dancing and then it's like stop no well, no <laughs> no but th- that was what we did um but but i felt that snarky puppy they because they knew how to play these songs they kind of turned it into a gig and they played stuff into the chorus and then my rule was oh yes yeah, if yeah, you're yeah, playing the chorus well everybody'll get it uh, like yeah. that's the words of the title of the song you can't do that so so the the so AD- you were the one that we was were, yeah we were the ADHD set so Snarky Puppy did one where it was a great gig to watch but they pretty much played like whole chunks of the tune and it was obvious which tune it was um, so they didn't really respect the game is what I'm saying they they saw it as an opportunity just to play and I for one really enjoyed it. Um, but if I'd been playing the game, ser- you know, a serious uh, bingo player, I think I would have been a little bit disappointed. But when we well, did I, it... I, I love when it's just like, say it's a song like Superstition, and someone's like, but Adam, what song is this? <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't... We, we tried to make sure we didn't do anything as obvious as Superstition, um, and, and we only gave them literally 30 seconds. And some of them there was another section to the tune that we didn't bother to learn. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't have played more than 30 right. seconds. Now, are there people in the audience with mics taping this as though it were a show? Mm, jam crews, not so much. Uh, not, not for activities, at least. No, it's a shame because there, um, there was a jazz, same venue, the Jazz Lounge. Is that right? Oh, yeah, it was yeah. the Jazz Lounge, yeah. I did a set there, which I curated. It was my attempt to kind of break free from under the umbrella of the Master Sounds for a little bit. And... Uh, we had Robert Walter, um, Carl Denson came and played flute. 
and um, the guy from ALO, Dan Leibowitz, mm-hmm. and at my, our horn section, and we played a load of soul jazz tunes, and it was so good, and nobody recorded it. And it's like, okay, yeah. I would like, actually quite like to hear that. That's why I like the documentaries so much. Yeah. They're yeah. important. And that's a, but that's... I, that's a refresh. That was a refreshing set. I do. Re, I do remember that. Um, it's nice when you can get away from, like when it's like the jam room's awesome. But like you said, Sissy Strut, these things. You people are in the jam room. You're gonna. You're, they're gonna go out and explore. But the jazz room. It was all about um, really just letting loose into the jazz vibe and getting away from getting away from it going to where it always goes. Yes, because it's there's a lot of funk on the boat, and after a few days, you can just be like, I'm all funked out. Uh, and, and, you know, endless solo followed by endless solo. I tried to make sure that for my set that I said, okay, it, the form for most jazz, including soul jazz, which we were playing, is play the head twice, do some solos, back to the head generally, and then end. And I said, we've got, you know, we, we've got guitar, we've got Hammond, we've got trumpet and sax. So there are four potential solos that could be had. Let's make sure we only do two per song if we can, and then the next tune, we can have two different instruments soloing, and it won't just be the same formula for the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, I don't think we stuck to it. I think they couldn't quite resist having maybe three solos. I mean, I, I was trying to lead them, but they mutinied. But that meant that we couldn't play all the songs. So this year, it's a new ship, and ironically, get this, the jam room is in the same, it's going to be in a restaurant this year, and guess it's what a- restaurant? It's in the noodle restaurant. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just no kidding. dead covers, oh. please. <laughs> oh, please. See, that would have, for me, that would have been a good joke if it was true. I know. But yeah. then, you know, come on. Right, I'm going to come down on him like a ton of bricks next time he does that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, just keep listening. I do from time to time. Try not to do it in front of yeah. guests, because you are a guest. Um, I want to ask you, because there's a lot of obvious differences between Britain and the U.S., there's one most stark contrast. Uh, jam Cruise is an example. Everybody sits in, jams with each other. In England, that's sort of frowned upon. Why is that? It doesn't exist as a scene. Uh, and it's, is it because the Grateful Dead didn't really translate? I don't know. But there's no legacy like that. Here, there's a whole movement, isn't there? Oh, yeah, we and, love it. And we're on it. It's cross-pollination. It's very interesting that what it brings but, out of a player is when they're put in a different context. Absolutely. But I think, I mean, I, I'm sure artists in different genres collaborate with each other, but there doesn't seem to be any kind of scene where people could just stand at the side of the stage wave their drumsticks and expect to be invited on. But again, that goes back to, back to the 50s and 60s, talking New York City, talking smalls, these small, small, the club was actually called smalls, these jazz clubs and, and the blues scene and you know, all this, and then it gets exported. And I, that's why it surprises me to hear you say that, because I think about all the music from you know, listening to the Rolling Stones and all of their influences and how they were influenced and this sort of stuff. How did that piece not make it there? It's crazy, isn't it? Um, but... But yeah, it's it's not something that we would kind of ever really encounter. It's strange. I mean, I remember jam sessions and like slightly more loose-based band evenings when we were at college, and that would be everyone who knows each other. You might arrange to sit in or something. You might say, "Can I play this tune tonight?" But I remember when I first played in. In New Orleans, and I would it would be two three a.m. and I, the first time I ever met Adam Deitch, some guy came over, whispered in my ear, said, uh, "Hey, uh, Adam, uh, Adam wants to play," and I said, well, "Yeah, what? 
I looked over and there's this guy in a baseball cap and I'd never met him. And I said, yeah, no props and had a break and, and he got on this kit and I thought, oh, what, what was I doing? <laughs> Get the tambourine out. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I mean, I, I probably didn't even have the confidence to play the tambourine at that point. I just danced in the audience for a bit thinking, I hope I don't have to go back on. Ooh, I can do that. <laughs> he, yes. is quite, he is quite the monster though, Adam. Yes, he is. Yeah, and and yeah, and I like I like watching him play. Um, and there was one time, oh, it's probably the, my worst ever musical moment, when uh, I, I I'd been asleep and then I'd got up and then it was a Bear Creek Festival, and I was a bit spaced out, shall we say, and I wandered up to the treehouse, which is where the kind of after festival jam session takes place, and I saw that Adam was playing and. No, I think I was really stoned. And I, I got quite next to the kit and I was mesmerised, just thinking, oh, this is brilliant. I, I get to watch Adam playing from close up. And Adam caught my eye and immediately, like with, well, within like two minutes, he was just like looking at me, gesticulating, as in, come on up, can you take over? Because he, he'd been playing since the beginning of the jam session for maybe an hour and desperately wanted to go and party. Or pee. Uh, uh, or, or pee or, or, or pee party. That's pee pee. But he, but he uh, I, I was saying, oh, no, 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 you misunderstand. The reason I'm looking keenly at your drum kit is because I'm in, really enjoying watching you play. I don't in any way think I'm capable or, you know, even willing. And so I just ran away for a bit. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but then, then I, I, I got drawn back in by his grooves and I found myself stood there again looking at him watching him play and then he did the same thing like please please take him and I was like oh god I have to do that now and I got on and I, I th- th- who was playing I think Ivan Neville was playing um Tony uh, Hall was playing guitar someone else was playing but anyway oh, yeah, Eric Krasno maybe was playing bass and they just had this riff going on and I just heard it upside down I couldn't tell where the one was <laughs> So I started playing, and they all suddenly turned and gave me the evilest looks, like, what the, what? And, and I just looked up like a frightened rabbit. Yikes. And then I looked over to my left, and uh, Eddie and Joe were there going, one, like trying, trying to show me where the one was. And it was just so not where I could feel it at Musician all. Musician charades. And I had to, I had, eventually I just had to stop playing and then take the one that they were telling me, but the, the angry people on stage were not telling me where it was. They were just looking at me as if I was complete idiot which is what I felt like um but really I, di- I didn't want to be there I, w- I was comprom- I was cerebrally compromised cognitively impaired at that point and that, I mean I'm not saying that's my excuse so I d- you were ready for jazz fest is what you were saying yeah and it, I, I shouldn't have got I should have been in disguise so that Adam I, but I never thought that he would be desperate to leave the drum kit which <laughs> was it I've actually met you a few times but the one time I've actually hung out with, I don't expect you to remember this of course the one time I've hung out with you though was uh, people deep, remember you was get... deep in the campgrounds at Bear Creek deep and we kind of riffed and were cracking each other up so it's kind of neat to see you now here and you're you know this was in around a fire probably or I, it was or in a ditch possibly <laughs> it was at a bunny mines campground like way way deep we were we were getting into no good. But listen, you've been very generous with, our, with your time. We really appreciate it. There's so much more I could ask you, but I'm going to leave you with this. I'm going to give you four names one at a time. Yeah. Just talk as much or as little as you want about them. Go on. Starting with Grant Green Sr. Grant Green, um, huge influence on Eddie Roberts' style, but also through Idris Mohammed, who was his drummer on a load of the recordings that I heard, a massive influence on how I play. And we have... 
don't know, maybe four or five Grant Green tunes that we could pull out at any given time. Um, massive fan, loved the sound of his live recordings. That's kind of what I want to hear from a live recording, which is re- recorded on tape and just groovy and fun, just oh, amazing. I love Grant Green. Okay, I'll stop that. that. Give me the next name. Next name influenced uh, pretty much all of my favorite guitarists, West. West West Montgomery West Montgomery Yes we, we, we played a West tune last night In our set called Up and At It Excellent Ding 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 That's the More tambourine More tambourine <laughs> um, And uh, He Is another influence on Eddie's sound I think I mean you might say some more of them now But I reckon Grant Green George Benson And um, West Montgomery And Jimi Hendrix I would say those are the components of Eddie's sound. Go on, who's the next one? Jimmy Smith. Jimmy Smith. Um, so I recently learned the uh, Back at the Chicken Shack groove, which is a sh- little shuffle, and um, it I opened my eyes to a whole new approach to drumming. Excellent. Again, thanks to Stanton Moore, where he transcribed Back at the Chicken Shack. Uh, but it, it's, it's such a simple drum beat, and it, there's no fills, it doesn't do anything. The tune lasts, I think it's, it's either six minutes or eight minutes. could be eight. Everyone has a solo. They're all amazing. And the drummer does not alter what he's doing. He's like he's in some zen thing. And it's just so groovy. And I, um, sometimes as an exercise, I will play along to the entire tune. And the, my, the challenge is to not do any fills and just play exactly what he's doing. And that was on our list to play on the Jam Cruise Jazz Lounge with Robert Walter. And we ran out of time to do it, so we had to cut it. Can we have something like that set up at City Winery maybe someday? Quite possible. The final name and your final question. Thank you so much. You're really, really uh, generous with your time. Jimmy McGriff. Jimmy McGriff. Um, the, the album Electric Funk from... Oh, one of my favorites. 1972, could be. Could be. We can be corrected on that. Um, We'll, we'll stick it in later. I believe that the drummer is Bernard Purdy. Probably. I mean, ha- he, he <laughs> sat in with you at Bear Creek, he right? He did, indeed. And, and recorded on a million albums. I sat in with him on Jam Cruise because he did a jazz lounge set, which Pete, our bass player, curated for him. He, Pete was the MD. And there were two drum kits on stage because Bernard prefers not to be fully responsible for the whole time because he's 74, you know. Um, but he's still so completely got such an amazing stamina always grinning throughout the thing. So I didn't know that, that Bernard was the drummer on um, Electric Funk. And I, I mean, I need someone to confirm that it's true, but I've looked it up on various websites and it seems to be the case. But it's so good that it is because that's a huge influence. And we used to play two or three of the songs from that album, Crisscross, Miss Poopy and... Um, Birdwave, I think, were the three songs that we used to do with a horn section in Leeds back in 1999. Mm-hmm. I had a girlfriend named Miss Poopy. Oh, she went to India and came back with a little thing, so she got a nickname out of it. But uh, the last time I saw Bernard Purdy was right here. He signed his book, signed, uh, oh, signed book. my book and everything. That book is great. Yeah, and uh, that's, I'm glad you mentioned it because we haven't said yet. Terminal West is where New Master Sounds is going to be performing. King Plow is King, where we are right now. King Plow Art Center, but the, the, they've once again been very kind mm-hmm. to set us up with a space, and uh, they allowed us to bring food in to feed the band. Bojanic Food, Indian restaurant here in Atlanta, Excellent. Georgia. Excellent. One of the best Indian, Indian food I've ever had. Uh, me too. Yes, that was a really smooth plug. 
And on the plugs, thank you guys for listening to Inside Out WTNS with Turner and Seth. Simon, it's always a pleasure. I look forward to hosting and jamming. Well, uh, jamming as in making jokes with you. I get it. Yeah. I mean, it may, you know, maybe I'll be invited on Jam Cruise. Who knows? As a uh, specialist game show host. I will be pushing hard for that. Yeah. Oh, uh, gosh, there's one thing we left out. Oh, what do we forget? They have two horns in the band this tour. Oh, you do? Uh, well, yes. We, no, we haven't had them on this tour. So well, we, one's from Atlanta for yeah, tonight, right? We had, we had horns. The, we last had horns in New York, in Brooklyn Bowl. We had them for the, th- the four shows that we did there. And Mike Olmos, who is the trumpet player that you heard on Made for Pleasure. He's from the West, from San Francisco. He lives in San Francisco, yeah. Um, he flew in here because... Uh, it was ridiculously expensive to fly to New Orleans. So he's riding on the bus with us tonight um, to get to New Orleans. So, we, so it was like, oh, great, we're going to get trumpet. And then Jonathan Lloyd, your, your local neighborhood trombone player. Slash connection from Bear Creek, I imagine. Bear Creek, Jazz Fest, Jam Cruise. <laughs> um, I think Nick Johnson plays with him too. And uh-huh, he, yeah, yeah. So he was, I think he got in touch, say, you know, trombone sit in tonight. We're like, yes, well, Mike's coming. So, and so Jonathan has learned... He said, he, well, he said he already knew 10 tunes because he's done this with us quite a lot. I think he, he learned an, uh, five more tunes. So the set is going to be quite horny tonight. Well, I'll try to be as well. Yes. Well, thank you very much. And uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you for having me. And good night. And remember, people, hold your water tight. Hey, Leslie, can you go ahead and move this? <laughs> She's not here, Seth. <laughs> Simon talking about how New Master Sounds broke away from the DJ scene and set up turf in a new country and uh, how their business has changed over the years. That was a really interesting interview. Very interesting. Simon's hilarious and um, um, their music speaks to me, as does MMW. Something about that. uh, I just love. I love Boogaloo. I love the Boogaloo. Percussive heavy funk. Yeah. Instrumental funk, if you will. So, yeah, I enjoyed that. Um, I've got those dates. They only have two festival plays coming. Eureka Springs, the Hillbilly, the Harvest Moon Festival. Have you heard of this? Um, Yes, I have. They're playing there in uh, mid-October. Again, newmastersounds.com slash tour, and they're in Zurich, Switzerland Mm -hmm. in November. And they got a new album out, correct? It's New Master Sounds, the Nashville Sessions available. I've got the uh, LP on it. Not the LP. Is that what you have? With a vinyl. And Mm -hmm. it's it's been great. I mean, we listened to it, and it's nice. Most of what you hear this episode will be from that. I think we have a live track for the end. Yeah, uh, I believe so. They're live at San Francisco album. The song in honor of Idris Muhammad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, last weekend I went to the Wrecking Ball Festival, kind of the farewell to the Masquerade, an iconic venue here. And farewell uh, to this location, as I understand it, they're going to be opened up in the West End. 
Sure, but Bradford Cox, Bradford Cox did a nice little rant on how that whole area, which used to be funky and is now becoming a little hoity-toity with the Pont City Market and all the surrounding areas. Uh, right, right. Well, that's where... The Beltline. Yeah, which the 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 uh, Masquerade is right on sure, top of the Beltline. Sure. So now they're moving back to more funky area of the West End. Deer Hunter was a quartet for the longest time. They've added a percussion player and a keyboard sax player, and they've really fleshed out their sound. It's a very danceable... Really? Feel now, yes. And they still are just amazing and ethereal, too. Bradford is wonderful. Saw Drive Like Jehu, really aggressive prog hardcore Mm -hmm. band that I had only vaguely heard of. Um, What about Jay Mascus? Do you see him? No. Rocket from the Crypt is what they evolved out of. Um, Mm -hmm. And they were just really aggressive music, but precise, stunning, stunningly precise, excellent stuff. Um, Jay Mascus and Dinosaur Jr. headlined... um, the Sunday, the second day, I believe, yeah. Mm-hmm. And one last thing, L7, who I had not seen since I saw them open for Neil Young and Crazy Horse at Constitution Hall. She had exposed herself, one of them. Um, they're still they're still aggressive as hell. The bass player just spins and is all over the stage, and, and they've got a really good sound. They were fun, too, although the crowd had dwindled by then. It was definitely more for the younger folks. There were a lot of, like... I felt dismissible, noisy bands earlier in the day that the young kids were eating up, and then when the more kind of timeless bands it was an older and thinner crowd at night it was an interesting phenomenon and then the next night a logical follow-up the dixie chicks <laughs> which Alpharetta. i remember your wife bought tickets for that i mean like six or seven months ago she's like you gonna be in town we should go i'm like no i mean that's some months away i mean this was like i, I feel like it was like even in january or I february can't, or something i can't believe how good that show was was it that good huh yeah we were walking up to our seats though and i found that i love the raised level at the, this is a verizon amphitheater in alpharetta and there's a little raised row and and there was empty seats in it and, and so our two friends uh, my wife had been off somewhere which when we go to shows she tends you've seen it she tends to just go off right well, I thought that you tend to go off you turn your head and go right into the crowd yeah but she tends to disappear yeah, she goes to smoke cigarettes. So I, <laughs> so I, the show didn't disappear. I found the spot. It was perfect for periscoping. I periscoped a bunch of it. They do Dylan cover. They How do... many people watch your periscope? One? That one? No, mm-hmm. that was a lot. Like five? No, like a hundred. What? You really got a hundred viewers? Overall. Oh, yeah. Did you at least plug inside out in it? No, I was very quiet so people could hear the music. You should at least plug. It's not like that. You should. You should at least. You well, that's should. why I periscoped here. But since it's you and not the Dixie Chicks, nobody gave a shit. Mm. But they were wonderful. Natalie Maines, the lead singer, is just, she doesn't jump around. She doesn't gesticulate or flail her hands. She just owns the song, tells the story, just a commanding presence in a really low-key way. And they play their instruments. It's not cheesy country, man. It was really, really strong. But I kept, I stayed in this spot, and I later learned that I guess I should have gone way back to our seat. But there was room. They could have come down to me. Yeah. I was very, I was very confused. I got, well, I got a good ass-chewing after the show. Show etiquette. Show etiquette. Show etiquette. Show etiquette. Demonstrate etiquette, as in? Take that both ways. <laughs> okay, sir. You're a married man. Listen, you want some therapy? I got someone that give you therapy. Wait, wait, but the phone's ringing. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll I hear listen. the phone ringing. I'm going to put down my mic here because I can't. Uh, we have to switch it over to be able to record, record the phone call. We only have a two-channel mixer. So if anyone has a more than two-channel mixer they want to donate to us, insideoutwtns at gmail.com. Oh, but, we desperately need a mixer sponsor. Um, but yeah, go ahead and... Uh, we'll sing the praise. Oh, but sponsor. We, we haven't even talked about Terrapin yet. And our next episode, we plan on having Spike from Terrapin in to talk about... Uh, the recent changes at Terrapin Beer with the purchases, the purchase deal. 
purchase yes, duo. Yes, and uh, letter of intent, and to what extent things will change, to what extent things mm-hmm. will stay the same, because uh, there's a lot of reactionary stuff, and we want to get down to the nitty-gritty and get it from the voice from the man himself. So that will be uh, the next episode. I hear the phone ringing. Hello? 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 Oh, it's old Mordecai. Oh, yeah, how the hell are you? Mordecai Grossman here, the Schlomberg Foundation. It's how been the a, hell are you? Listen, listen, turn it. Uh, 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 are you listening to me? I'm while. talking. It, you listen. It, I'm talking. Yeah, uh, yeah. God damn it, Turner. You listen to me? God damn it. I'm right. telling you. Okay, you're thank right, you. Monica. Thank you for so, coming on. So, did you get my package? Ah, uh, which package? The one I sent you, you moron. I sent you a beautiful package. Both It said to Turner and to Seth. Was it the thing that stank and looked like pudding? It's the thing that should have when you opened up went pop, boom, bang. No, I did not. Well, the hell with that. They never, that package never has seemed to left the post office anytime I sent that What have you been doing, Mordecai? What do you do for fun? What is Mordecai? I sit back and listen to Jimmy Smith. Oh, well, then you'll, you probably like this episode. That's why I'm calling. Did you like what, what, uh, what Simon Allen had to say about Jimmy Smith? I didn't hear yet. I'm at the end of the episode here, so you could play me the goddamn recording. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's just just something I got. I uh, smoking is great for you, Monica. I don't smoke cigarettes. No cigarettes. Really? And the thing, my son. A memory. My son sent me this oil, and I put it in a pen. And I'm supposed to suck. And I tell him the only thing like this that was this big and this black used to go in your mother's mouth. <laughs> oh, my God, that's that bitch. Anyway, that's besides the point. Listen to me. I got something to tell you. I understand there's a city winery in Atlanta, and you will go there. Yes. I heard this on your last time. I'm going again Tuesday. I'm just saying that Dr. Lonnie Smith should go there. You got Greg Green Jr. I'm just saying make a goddamn show and make it a tribute to Jimmy Smith. Bring out other fucking organists. John Modeski, you son of a bitch. Get down to Atlanta play i think it'd be fucking brilliant you listen to me you son of a bitch i'm telling you you're a son of a bitch and it's only because i knew your cousin and that cousin of yours was a cousin a c-u-s-i-n cousin anyway listen you goddamn bastard you look great and i don't even know if you look great because you never do the facetime video with me i call you and you put it on facetime audio you're scary your face is scary i got a big face they call me job of the face but that's besides the point you but monokai city winery uh, last tuesday two two of people who've been on this show collaborated at city winery two hey, of what? our they did what? They in were the on the stage They collaborated together. in a public space. Isn't that illegal in yes, Atlanta? Yes, Great Peacock and Kevin Kinney. They performed together. Uh, Peacock and Ke- one's black and one's white. That is intermixing racial stuff. Has that happened? I, th- I thought you just approved that earlier in this very phone call. Well, I guess so. You're All right. in the family. You're right. You're right. When you're right, you're right. Anyway, listen, you son of a bitch. I think you you should continue the mixed mingling program at the winery. And um, and uh, just yeah, I just wanted to... I, I, hold on. I, I'm on the fucking phone. Just give me a second. They don't let me on the phone much longer here. We gotta gonna, wrap things up. I will up. take my meds as soon as I'm off the phone. This new place my son put me in is terrible. Yes. yes. It's, I, got, I gotta go. So listen, go fuck yourself you and diddled? everybody else. You're not getting diddled, are you? They don't. I put diddled is the thing of the past. I don't have a car. Yeah. So listen, go fuck yourself, both of you. Hey, and um, 
Can you can you say can you end by saying here's some music some more music from the new master sounds? And without further ado, you schmucks, listen to some master sounds. It's new. It's called the new master sounds. Enjoy for your listening pleasures. Gazai gazunt, Mordechai Grossman, Fucking goodbye. Thank you.